reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the... Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Redline. A movie that has won the Make Us Watch Whatever You Want fund drive for 2017. Uh, Ruben Stahl... Oh, dadgummit, what was his name, Dingus? I remember his first name. Ruben Stahl Bruner? Was I close? It's 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 Ruben Bruin Strain. I was close. Wrong, but close. I'll take it. Uh, he submitted that, and it won in the same way that La La Land won Best Picture <laughs> at the Academy Award this year. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, regardless of what happened, this is the Redline Podcast. You are in the right place, listeners. Uh, mm. As I said, I'm Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Murkowski. It's Cherry Boy, Boy Hunter, Christian McCloskey. And although it is relevant to this podcast, but maybe not to the fun drive, Kelly Wan, do you have a tagline for Redline? It's like Cannonball Run, but without Sinatra. You want more? Those things are true. Yes, keep going. I was, I was just pondering that one. So that's why his name's Funky Boy. <laughs> keep going. It's anime. Ah, there we go. I like that's that. That's for the poster. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That's for Cynic. Are there more? I don't think you can get much better than that. Uh, whoever wins, we all eat Thai. See, cause... I don't understand that one. Wow, what is that? Yeah. Because well, it's Asian, but it's also a race. So it's a tie, but it's anime. Oh, a tie and tie. I got you. Yeah. Hmm. T-A-I. Is it a homonym? It's really tie. So it's a predator joke, but also. <laughs> oh, right. God. Dingus, no. why don't you explain to the <laughs> listeners why we're doing Redline instead of another movie? <laughs> yeah, Dingus, because... you're, the guy, you're the guy in the headset that comes out on stage. I'm Warren Beatty. Kelly Wand is Faye Dunaway. Actually, Dingus, That's you're true. Faye Dunaway because I basically read the envelope. You just sort of stood there befuddled and didn't contradict me. Right. Uh, That's true. So, so Kelly Wand, we're going to appoint you as the guy who has to come out on stage and explain <laughs> something. So, Kelly Wand, what happened last week? Well, I'm the one person who doesn't understand what happened last week. <laughs> so I'll do my best. But from what I heard, right. you guys say – Something about the math was wrong. Nope. 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 I was wrong about that. The math was right. The math was right. The math was right. Uh, The number that you chose, also right. You didn't screw that up. Chose Mm -hmm. the correct number. And I didn't see the list, so I don't right. Know. You weren't looking at the list, Dingus, and I. You because if you had seen the list, it might have colored the number that you rolled. It might have affected the the randomness. Right. Well, right. But I didn't even look at it after this happened, which might have been because by then I just was like, all right. So you gave us the number. You didn't see the list. Our job was to look on the list. Uh, I immediately looked on the wrong side of the number break because we we put how much money, how many votes a movie got, and then we put the next movie, and we add the number of votes that got. So we've got numbers that are climbing as you go down the list. This is what I was supposed to say? No, no, no. Well, yeah, yeah, more or less. (laughs) All right. So when you gave us a number – I looked above the break rather than below the break. Uh, we got a 1038 at 1019 or lower. 
it would have been a movie called uh, Redline, which is what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. However, we rolled a number higher than 1019, but lower than the next threshold, which was, uh, I think, uh, 1029, 1039. 10, 1039, yeah. 1039. We got a 1038. So I looked above. Roger Dispatch. And I even said to Dingus, Dingus, it's right. It's the one that starts with an R, right? Which made no sense because the list was arranged alphabetically. They all started yeah. with R in that neighborhood. That was your mnemonic device. So even if Dingus had it correct, was reading it right, he had no cause to disagree with what I was about to say. Uh, so I read the wrong movie. So the movie that actually that you chose the number for, Kelly Wand, it's Chris Hobson's submission of an of something called Rock and Rule, a uh, cartoon for a we'll call it an animated movie. I don't That's know. the Moonlight. That is the Moonlight. So Rock and Rule, get up here. This is no joke. You guys are the winners. Get up here, Rock and Rule. Uh, we're not doing rock and rule next week. We're doing life next week. The week after that, uh, I forget what's the week after that. There's something after that, and then right. nothing, hopefully. And then there's nothing. <laughs> Did you say, and then nothing ever again? Is that what you're hoping? There's a no, nothing. After, yeah, like we, we were going to have to see some Tyler Perry movie or something if we wanted to I see think, something. I think after that is Ghost in the Shell. Ah, right, right, right. right. Yeah. That's so. First, we have uh, the Ryan Reynolds movie, then the Scarlett Johansson movie, and then just a, an empty it. spot. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to do Rock and Rule, which was the correct winner, the AKA Moonlight of the Make Us Watch Whatever You Want 2017 Fun Drive, uh, three weeks from now. So uh, stand by for that. Congratulations, Chris Hobson. You really won. Uh, and so as a bonus, everyone gets tonight's Red Line podcast. <laughs> yeah. Which so is, the uh, one who got screwed is Chris Hobson, but the Red Lion guy gets a free podcast, basically. Exactly, right. So only he's allowed to listen. Everyone else turn this off. <laughs> this is an illegitimate podcast. It doesn't count. Yeah. That's it, Dingus. Tell the listeners what we watch. <laughs> For <Listener>. no reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, we realized the mistake immediately after recording. Yep. Like as soon as we stopped recording, I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't – Dingus said something. I was like, wait, that doesn't add up right. And so we didn't know, like, should we keep it – we're above board. We didn't want to sweep anything under the rug. We don't want any malfeasance on this podcast. So we're coming clean. You get two make us watch whatever you want choices this year. Dingus, which one will we be talking about today? And also this is the potential for any future raffles. Like you could win without even winning because nice. math – well, I, I use the – I mean I, I kind of consider this also like a – it's like a list of recommendations. I love looking at this list. Yeah, because, that's true. Because I kind of want to see. If if somebody who cares enough to listen to this podcast that they want to support it wants us to talk about a certain movie, I want to see that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, yeah. why I like, that's why I like the raffle because it's yeah. like – you know, it's the one time where we're not chained to whatever came out that week. So maybe we should just have raffles every week. Yeah, that's, that's why we all ran out and immediately watched Strosek this week. Did you? No. Oh. So the thing is, what did you watch then? <laughs> oh, sorry. So this week we saw Redline, stylized as Redline, all caps. Just so you know, it's stylized as Redline, all caps. I, I reject that, by the way. I don't. I don't, I don't believe in all caps. All caps is not is never legitimate unless it's an acronym. And even then, I, I often think it's a bad idea. Well, it might just be yelling like they texted it to you, like the informant. Oh, it's millennials. 
Um, Red Line is a 2009 Japanese science fiction auto racing anime. Make us watch whatever you want. Listener's choice. Accidental movie about <laughs> what would have happened if Anakin had chosen a different career path. Uh, does it have a rating? Do, 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 well, they... let me tell you who directed it. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, let's hear some pronunciation. Kelly Wan, maybe you can help Dingus with this. You know that Kelly's done coughing. <laughs> <laughs> it was directed by Takeshi Ko- Takeshi Koike and written by Katsuhito Ishii, who provided the original story and shares screenplay credit with Yoji Enokido and Yoshiki Sakurai. It stars Jakuya Kimura slash Patrick Seitz, Yu Aoi slash Michelle Ruff, and Tadanobu Asanu slash oh. Liam O'Brien. Oh, who was he? Was he the – oh, man, I should have listened to it in Japanese or watched it in Japanese. I love Tadanobu Asano. Yeah, he's Frisbee. Oh, man. Oh. In the dubbed version or is the – or was no, it the only dubbed version? They got, some, they got some cartoon video game voice actor. They got a bunch of them to come in yeah. and do the voices. But Tadanobu Asano is a legitimate Japanese superstar. You guys know yeah. him from the Thor movie, but he's in a, a lot of uh, Kitashi Miyake movies. Wait. What is Miyaki's first name? Takashi. Jesus. <laughs> I thought if I just said it quickly, no one would notice whether it was right or not, Kelly Wan. Thanks for calling me out. He's so wired. Uh, but he's in a movie we love called Last Life in the Universe. He's Ichi the yeah. Killer. That's so, I love it. I haven't seen it, but I love that movie. Yeah, of course you do. You do. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, what is it rated now? Because I'm curious. Does this have a rating? There, there are things that maybe parents should know about. It doesn't have an official rating, but if you read through all the certifications, the suggestion is Redline would probably be rated R. Mm, Why? For intense violence throughout, some language and drug content, and brief nudity. Now, in the English version, the language is absolutely not some language. It is much stronger than in the Japanese and uh, subtitled version. Oh, okay. So parents, make make your kids read this movie. Yeah, because the, the dubbed version has much stronger language and is a much different watching experience. Wait, was there a some drug use in there? I, I was, that was yeah, the, yeah, and, and yeah. some drug, drug content. And smoking, like they pointed out smoking? Uh, the, sadly, they did not point out All smoking. All right, I disapprove. Kelly Wand, is there anything you feel that they missed out on? Well, also, this might be – that might be the rating for rock and roll, and we just – that was the uh, <laughs> – I would give this movie a soft G for some racing characters with long hair and green hair and robots screaming. But there were no adult situations, so that shaved off 10%. <laughs> By long hair, do you mean like the penis head hair? That kind of no. hair? No, that's fine. All right. Uh, our Metacritic – Redline is at 24 on Metacritic. It's the average of various reviews. On Rotten Tomatoes, Redline is at 0%. <coughs> no way. Yeah, 27 reviews. All of them are negative, 0%. Why? Uh, Redline opened in April of 2007. It made $4 million, uh, and it came in number 11 on the weekend that Disturbia opened in the number oh. one spot. Oh. Um, now, Redline is not on – uh, Cinema Score. However, Red Tails is on Cinema Score. <laughs> Cinema Score viewers liked Red Tails. They gave it an A. 
Wow. Uh, now, now the red line I just there's, mentioned. They're thematically similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the red line I just mentioned though isn't the one we watched. This is the one from two years previous, which was a cheap Fast and Furious knockoff, uh, which I also tried to watch this week. Actually, Red Line for for Red Line, I tried to watch two movies this week, and this is quite a thing for me to say. I couldn't make it through either of them, uh, and the first one was the Red Line from two years back, which was a stuntman decided, hey, I'm going to direct a movie. He got some famous people together, like. Um, uh, uh, well, no one you've heard of, but they're famous to him. No, there is someone famous in it. Shoot, who is the famous guy? Tadanobu um, Asano? No. Jimmy Stewart's oh, Ed- famous. Eddie Griffin. Eddie Griffin. Uh, oh, oh, I mean, oh, wow. look here. Right, Tim Matheson is the bad guy. You got Tim Matheson. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it's a cheap, it's a hmm. cheap, super crappy. Like they had nice like cars. Like they couldn't do anything fancy with it. During the, one of the car races, they were driving these sort of small, undersized, almost cart racing replicas, uh, super low budget. And in this, imagine Fast and Furious, but instead of Vin Diesel and Paul Walker, you have those characters combined and played by a very unconvincing but buxom model who looks kind of like a trashy Alexandra Daddario. Uh, mm. And she's, of course, like a a gearhead and an elite driver. And furthermore, she's the singer in a band. Uh, And her music is supposed to be awesome. Uh, Eddie Griffin plays. And you're treated to some of it. You get to hear some of her singing. Um, Hmm. And that's about where I tuned. That's about where I was like, no, I can't can't take any more of this. I'm out. (laughs) I don't understand why you stopped watching it. Uh, Well, so it's on uh, Amazon Prime. Anybody can watch it. You don't even have to pay for it. Just go ahead and click on it and see how long you can make it. I think I got through about maybe about 30 minutes. Um, I could never make it that long with Alexander Daddario. This is a trashy looking Alexander Daddario. Oh, so three. Got it. <laughs> Wait, so you didn't watch the other red line? Either? No, no, I did. I did. But I also I was like, well, I want to see this other. There's actually a third red line that I've already seen. It's two words. And you mentioned this previously, Kelly Wand. It's about the subway in L.A. crashes. And, whoa, what do you know? There's also a bomb aboard it. And they have to disarm the bomb. Uh, that's also terrible, but I've watched all of that one. So I also did watch this week's Red Line. It is not on Metacritic. It does not have a Rotten Tomatoes score. It did not have a theatrical release in the U.S. I have no idea how much money it made. Uh, and it came two years after the Red Line that I just told you about. But they're the same name, just so you know. It's Red Line. One. Well, it made at I... least $5 this week. That's true. Right. Uh, Dingus <laughs> copy of red line now it is in his library why is this uh, in the trash? right next to red <clears throat> oh he alphabetizes them Probably. he doesn't get them not by date what do you think um, would be before that dingus so it goes reds before Rockful. that is your copy of red line what's before then uh rashomon <laughs> dingus is pretending to own a copy of rashomon as if it's probably Repo Manning just fucked up the alphabet. <laughs> okay, well, that's my side of the, the uh, DVDs. Oh. Wait, you share a DVD, and you also stop in the middle with the alphabet? Like, you do... Your DVDs are all A through M. No, no, no. We have, we have segregated collections in the same room, but on different sides of the room. Yeah. And in it, 2017, it, you're, they're segregated? We yeah we don't have communal property here like I have my own DVDs Dingus has it oh yeah I don't need a copy of Midnight Run for instance Dingus doesn't need to own Jaws uh, you know and yeah, so it's, they're separate but equal I'm just saying 
Hmm. Kelly Wand, I would like you to help me understand certain finer points of the movie Redline. Hmm. That's why I'm here. Giving me a Redline synopsis. <laughs> really, Tom? After all we've been through, really? I, I the whole name of the movie, and then throw in an opsis. God, what would you call it? Red lipsis. <laughs> totally different. It is. <clears throat> Some matrix-colored symbols written in Asian are all. Ha ha! We're your goonies now, white man. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> Another row of Asian symbols come on, comes on, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. This happens four more times. Beside me, an Asian cosplaying as me stands up, pumps her fist, and goes, Hi! She turns into a rainbow that explodes into square watermelons. Hip-hop music plays at quadruple speed. <laughs> Yoko Tenemisu! <laughs> a pistachio shell enthusiast wears boots. It's a dog wearing purple goggles and a helmet. Somewhere an announcer's all. Speaking about weird races, an interplanetary one's about to start near where I'm shouting. <laughs> the dogs live in a junkyard and watch cars race instead of chasing them. This race is called Yellow Line because the line on the track's yellow. A triangular dinosaur smokes from a hookah of CG with his buddies. This reminds me to do something, so I pause for a couple minutes. When I resume, they're exhaling spirals of blue detergent. Some purple, sc- <laughs> Some purple spinal cords monkey kid hassles his dad to hurry and look at a mountain before the race starts. <laughs> oh, that's helpful to you, Tom. <laughs> Two of the dog characters fight over some condoms. I look over at William Hung sitting beside me and go, which character am I not? An air raid siren goes off, which makes a robot cop and a giant fish fly up and ask what time the race starts. The monkey kid's dad struggles to understand a camera while the fish cop swoops around their heads and tries to hang out with them. I hope I'm not missing anything. A dog looking through binoculars sees some dust clouds, which means the race started at some point. The cars all swoosh by. The dogs in the audience cheer the dad's camera. And announcers all, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you who's racing. There's this anime girl. Looks like Tracer. Hair's green. She's Irish. Her name's Shaughnessy. There's this mummy with a robot eye. What the? Here's a guy with a green face and unicorn horns for balls and noses for eyes. His dog slash lover, a princess with magical powers, Burt Reynolds, these two goofballs with Tetris heads, and a girl with Elvis hair and Elvis ears. Wait, it's a guy. Sorry. Anime. (laughs) (laughs) It's why we're here. (laughs) Elvis is all. Oh, yeah? You don't know anything about announcing. He screams, yeah, and hits a button on his dashboard with his Ron Jeremy ring finger, which makes his engine's water lasers explode. So he goes so fast, his car stretches. The announcers all the Elvis character did that button thing. House music plays while dogs and celery in the crowd start dancing with agreement. 
All the drivers are going the same speed, so they look angrily sideways at each other. The mummy with the robot eye shoots a missile. It blows up someone, I think Burt Reynolds. Elvis speeds past, which makes the mummy upset at his dashboard. Elvis is all, ha ha, my vehicles. <laughs> Elvis tricks another car by driving diagonally near it, then winks at Sonashi while he drives upside down over her head. An old man counting his teeth because the room's dark, Saul. Elvis wink, just like you said, Frisbee. Frisbee's got a green mohawk and a purple scarf. I think we know his deal. He's all. <laughs> no one throws races to women like Elvis. I hope you guys watched the dub version. I did. Singus isn't going to understand that. Oh, really? <laughs> it's like it's James Mason or something. I didn't know what was going on with that. What's... I watched both, actually. I <laughs> needed more. Four hours of red wine. True story. The old man's all. Now to do my molars. By the way, my wagering schemes are part of the plot to this. Frisbee shrugs. The old man starts on his gums. Frisbee says something about bail bonds. <laughs> Meanwhile, a bunch of stuff involving race cars and a giggly torpedo on a chain happens. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to leave anything out. I know Tom's confused. <laughs> Elvis tricks it by driving through a mushroom cloud of rocks, then floats alongside Sonashi because she's now on some water. She hits a button that makes her car go fast. Elvis is all, time to punch it. He hits his button. I guess it's a different one from the one he hit last time. It makes his car fast. He clenches his teeth, which makes his nose start bleeding. <laughs> the audience of dogs in the stand twitches. They're all vaguely interested that the race is almost over. The black and white check flag billows apathetically. The audience is silent with reverence for these two colors. Elvis forgot to put gas in his car, so it hits the guardrail and turns end over end in slow motion towards the finish line while Sonashik wins by going in normal motion. Some hip-hop spells out red lipsis over some sputtering engine noises and a tire going flat. A kid with a dumb eye watches through a chain-link fence as Liberace has a threesome and drives off. Meanwhile, Elvis celebrates his loss by watching Sonashi on TV massage a champagne bottle into spurting all over her face and rat giggling. He has a bandage on his forehead due to his car flipping over so many times with him inside it. Frisbee's all, this is for your bail bondsman. <laughs> And dumps a metal suitcase full of gold bars on Elvis's broken arm. My character's a mechanic, by the way. When he gets to the door, Elvis throws the case back at him with his broken arm. He's all, I prefer jail to wealth. A bunch of reporters and airline pilots barge in to take pictures of the suitcase. On the TV screen, an announcer's all. And in anime news, Kuru Kuru Daza and Shoto Ojin will no longer be household names. This means, according to the ancient rules of racing, that Elvis is the main character for this movie. It's <laughs> called Redline. An excitable reporter at the foot of Elvis's bed's all, I think the race is going to be on Robo World. <laughs> Frisbee does a spit take. He's all, did you just say Robo World? 
I'm worried I'll get stuck talking like that for the rest of my life. Elvis is so surprised <laughs> he has to apply a new bandage to his head. He's all, you gotta be shitting me. All the reporters excitedly scribble down this quote for tomorrow's front page headlines. Suddenly, a swastika appears on screen. An orange-haired robot in orange face in a tribunal room saw. <clears throat> I, the president of RoboWorld, hereby declare I hate racing. So any characters trying to race cars across my featureless planes will be executed. Now back to your sports shit. One of the reporters turns the TV off. Elvis is all, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to RoboWorld. <laughs> the reporters all laugh at his naivety. <laughs> then he's all, speaking of which, I got a comment. He grabs one of the TV cameras, pulls it onto his junk, and goes, Next stop, Robo World! <laughs> All the racers watching him do this on TV at the racetrack for some reason cheer for worlds. A kid at home eating breakfast is all, Cool, idiots exploding. Tuesday's got a rule. His mom's all, I'm wet. Later, the orange president of Robot World. <laughs> Later, the orange president robot of Robo World watches with annoyance as all the racers in their cars drive out of a spaceship above his planet and drop down towards his favorite desert, hitting their buttons so their cars fall faster. He's all, can't we issue some kind of travel ban, Sean? His secretary's all, sir, we've tried that twice already. <laughs> racers pouring in through the so-called borders. Sad. Notice I put sad in air quotes. You guys never report that. Dishonest, not in air quotes. Maybe we could put up an event horizon, get the racers to pay for it. His secretary of the interior is all, sir, if I may. <laughs> oh, Colonel Volton, like in the Galactic Pack. Now go and support the interesting principles of Robo World by destroying cars. He sucks on some headphone jacks. Yes, sir, and thank you for the opportunity to make Robo World robe again. They chuckle and quietly exchange locker room talk about minority robots and broads. Meanwhile, some little green birds with brain tumors hassle Elvis into buying raffle tickets. <laughs> he also buys some smokes from a twitchy purple grandma in a booth. Then he visits a spider Burgess Meredith mechanic and goes, Hey, it's my character, so I'll need three cups of gold nitro this time. The mechanic does three spit takes. Elvis shrugs. I still got my mojo. The mechanic <laughs> agrees. Even for the ladies. <laughs> still a whore, dog. <laughs> he laughs some more while Elvis tries to figure out how to take off his shoe. Elvis is all. Just like old times. Huh, Frisbee? Frisbee's suddenly sitting in plain view in a pink suit suit. <laughs> he takes his hat off and is, I may be scum, but I'm a damn good mechanic, and you can take that to the bank. <laughs> the spider Burgess Meredith all, ah, your friends teach you how to sneak around? Relax, old man. I just got what it takes to get the job done. Elvis is all, at least the old man's cool with it. He picks up Frisbee's hat and teases the old man with it by sticking it in his face and going, <laughs> The mechanic's all, Hey, stop that. This isn't funny. What? Elvis finally decides he's made his point. He leaves. The old man's all, Hey, where do you think you're going? Think she's so damn cool. Ugh. Elvis finds an underwater restaurant with Sonashi in it and sits on an armrest to ogle her. 
a waiter with Oasis written on his ass gets cross with him for sitting incorrectly, then goes, Sorry, madam, here's your fossilized lobster shell with a live spaghetti. The waiter hovers inches away from her face to watch her eat, then realizes Elvis is undone his, the waiter's underwear, and exposed his fish penis. He runs away screaming. Didn't mention that in the rating. Sana, she's all, What's your problem, man? Allow me to introduce myself. Oh, shit. Remember what I did to that waiter's pants? I want to do that to yours. Now I remember your hair. Your car exploded right after mine at the race. I guess my character doesn't know you're a celebrity? It's called scoping out the competition. <laughs> Excuse me? Somebody pours tea at another table. I wanted to see if you were worth it. What's the verdict? I see someone who's not into men. Hmm. I don't see any around. Actually, I was talking to your lobster. I've always loved cars more than people. He's all. Watch this. He blows some steam onto his tea. Guess what? You can go now. He slurps tea. My dad was a junk racer. Sure you have a dad. Speaking of which, is that thing on your neck a steam light? What, this? It's my head. My dad gave it to me when I was seven. He leans in for the kiss. Suddenly a red dinosaur shows up and goes, My name's Stink Eye. Can I eat your dinner? Mm -mm. Speaking of clams, maybe I'll eat you too. Elvis is all, hey, when I'm done. Ah, cock blocker, I'm a racer. My partner's name is this guy. Nearby goblin gets beaten to a pulp by some Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) So many characters in both senses. (laughs) The red guy's all, also, this character exists. A robot Frankenstein shambles on screen. The red guy's all, this is the fastest person in the galaxy. The music in the restaurant starts playing the Frankenstein's theme song while he dances clunkily. His body's mechanical, so his name's Machine Head. The crying Nazi kicks him in the face a couple times, so Machine Head turns his head a little, which causes the restaurant to flood. Elvis <laughs> rescues Sonashi from drowning by saying, come on. The cops go up. Colonel Volton, I guess it's still flooded, but there they are. Colonel Volton settles things down by punching his friend's teeth and lighting a cigar. Elvis is all, hey, Volton, sometimes a cigar is just a, uh, uh, (laughs) Volton's all, pretty tough talk for a guy with seven guns in his face. Elvis is all, oh yeah, well maybe if we had a couple more, uh. They hit him with their gun butts till he finishes the math. Sonashi drags Elvis home behind her motorcycle and goes, Guess now I know why you like to call yourself the sweet JP. I also like being called Cherry Boy Hunter. She playfully slaps his clenched fist. They talk some more till nothing happens. She leaves. He leans over and picks up a booger as her door closes. Hey, I think you dropped this. He has a flashback to her as a kid crashing and crying and calling him and his friends losers while her car doesn't start. Britney Spears leans over to me and goes, I've never really wanted to go to Japan simply because I don't like eating fish. And I know that's very popular out there in Africa. That's an actual quote, by the way. That night, Sanashi eats some tomatoes with her top off. While I look at her animated nipples, her character complains about the sexism of a shot of her ass on a news program that she's watching with an aroused smile. Then she sees a commercial for Machine Head. 
Machine Head pets his dog and goes, how would I describe myself? I am my wheels. An announcer comes on and goes, these are the other racers, by the way, for tomorrow's red line thing. Two naked girls in fur coats uncross their legs and cross their eyes. A gorilla cop strangles some reporters and watches footage of himself trying to catch some criminals trying to escape on a racetrack in a race car. Back at the garage, Frisbee shuts a hood and goes, that's good for three loads, if you know what I mean. He winks at Elvis. Meanwhile, some construction workers in hazmat suits run afoul of some white robots with stretchy arms. <laughs> Back in the black room at the White House, Colonel Bolton's all, Mr. President, good news. We have a satellite called the Hyper Disintegrator Cannon. The president's all, finally. While he's talking, two guys in jumpsuits break into the cannon and start kicking it. <laughs> One's all. Although it did spend 5000 bucks on this jetpack to get up here. I won't win my $5 bet on Redline if this cannon blows up all the racers. His friend sighs and keeps kicking. Back at her TV room, Sana, she puts on a wet t-shirt and red short shorts and cuts an apple. Then she fries it. Elvis stocks her with some purple flowers on her porch. As he drives away, he's all, yes, she'll have no idea it was... He crashes his car to some yellow flowers. Some starlight turns his eyes yellow while a ghost screams at him. On Sonashi's TV screen, a news announcer's all, and in romantic news, the possibly known racer Elvis guy's character was once involved in a scheme. Sonashi drops her chopstick. The next day, a Hindu bookie poisons the tumor chiclet's beaks with ice cream. As their faces dissolve, he's all, you're not supposed to chew it. The racers all get into their cars and kiss their passports for luck. The announcers all, and now the racers are once again dropping out of a spaceship in their cars. There's a giant cannon aiming at them, and it doesn't work. Two guys decided <laughs> kicked it all night. Anime! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to change anything. <laughs> Colonel Bolton's all excellent. Troops deploy to the three points the racers are coming from. I shouldn't need to be any more specific. Death to all who drive competitively. President stares at him, then turns on all the turrets and shoots stuff at the racers as they fall towards the racetrack, which makes some of them have to hit buttons to go fast. <laughs> A cyborg racer's all, Hey, Johnny, pour a sidewinder to the crap and kill Shaughnessy. The nerd in his car, his job's to do stuff, hits a button and shoots a missile at Shaughnessy. Shaughnessy? <laughs> the fuck's it got the other She tricks the missile by shooting it with a pistol. And it's setting her car on fire, so she drives into some water. Some racers blow up and scream. The president's all, not too shabby, Colonel Bolton. Keep this up, you just might be on your way to lieutenant, Colonel. Bolton's all, thank you for the compliment, sir. Speaking of which, the ratings for this race are so high, everyone now knows where all our missile silos are. It's the age-old problem. Damn it. Then you can quote me on this. I want those razors destroyed before they reach Funky Boy's lair. Beside me, Dingus stands up and starts watching Fifty Shades Darker on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Sonichi hits a button 
that says <laughs> payback time. Something explodes and she starts going faster. You're welcome, Raffles. A giggling lizard's all, look at her going up that water slide. I got wood. She tricks the cyborg by making him forget how chains work. She's all, got your nose, cocksuckers. He waits till he stops crashing, then shakes his fist. Then hits his nitro so she, he can shake his fist faster. Because the nitro. Meanwhile, Elvis is driving cautiously on a racetrack no one cares about. Burgess Meredith, who's somehow watching, is all, Ah, my shit is a disaster. Darn that frisbee. Frisbee chuckles, but he's in a different room with the tooth guy. Elvis calls Frisbee and goes, Hey, I'm driving slow. You have gold nitro. We set it up, remember? Elvis hangs up and suddenly notices the giant gold button blocking his view of the steering wheel. He hits it. The announcer's all, I still don't believe it. His co-announcer's all, Elvis guy's skipping across the water. He's like a human pebble. <sighs> what a trade-up. The announcer's all, I believed it. The guy who likes to count his teeth has a woman now who smears yellow powder onto his molars. He's all, uh, my wagering schemes are something, especially if Elvis wins. Frisbee raises a remote control and goes, I got something that no racer would ever expect. A button. Meanwhile, the Basic Instinct twins drive a car shaped like a pink woman into a gully, <laughs> then make their car's pink boobs glow and sparkle swirls while it tickles the balls of the other cars to death and dances <laughs> away. <laughs> I think. Voltaire yells at his guys to also dance, but the president isn't impressed, so he whispers something. Voltaire's eyes wide. He gulps nervously, mops sweat from his brow, then raises a microphone and goes, <clears throat> Attention all units. <sighs> the president has advised me to tell you all, this is not a drill. I'm quoting him verbatim here. All units should immediately proceed <sighs> to zone 7X. Ominous music plays. One of his guys asks him what he meant by all. The racers trick some landmines by going over them. Meanwhile, Voltaud's aircraft carrier hassles the racers, but they trick his million fighters by driving and screaming. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of them falls under Funky Boy's yellow jewel prison, which does more than all the construction workers are accomplishing with their hands. They're trying to wake him up, by the way, so they can bet on the race that they're not watching. Funky Boy comes out. He's a giant baby made out of radiation. <laughs> one character saw, uh, is something we're not supposed to be seeing? Are we sure Tom picked the right number? An 1890s goth robot mustache is all. Mr. President, we can't let Funky Boy run loose like that. He's going to ruin the whole look of Robo World. Maybe even damage the cachet associated with the phrase. Another one's all. Mr. President, destroying the universe with Funky Boy could be a violation of the peace treaty. President grunts and twitches his head in shame. Another guy's all. Hey, our cannon works now. We just flipped the uh, anti-kicking defensive matrix switch to on. <laughs> the president's all I'm a funky boy he's ruining the race God. <laughs> <laughs> the cannon hits funky boy and turns him into pink bubbles then it also blows up all the racers the crowd boos Elvis waits for Sadashi to crash and explode then carries her from her car to set her down gently on some sharp edge chunks of crap car explodes again she's all I can fix it she rips off the AC knob and starts crying. He tries to lift his car while she sits on it and laughs. 
She's all, there's something we need to discuss. Did you ever fix a race? He's all, yeah. He shows her a flashback for an hour. Then he's all, you see, I had my reasons, whatever they were. She smiles, gets up, shows him how to flip a car over. They decide to team up to win and figure out if that's legal later. Suddenly, Funky Boy comes back annoyed and starts vomiting CG on everything. A talking pancreas wearing a headset looks at the president and goes, Hey, the cannon's broken again. Anime. (laughs) (laughs) The president's all, There goes this universe. Colonel Volton's all, Hmm. I know. He walks into his office and seduces his computer into making him into a giant 30-eyed monkfish. He's all, This feels amazing. He eats Funky Boy and explodes. Elvis squeezes Sadashin beside him and hits the gold nitro. It makes them go fast. Machine heads all. Gold nitro? I've got turbo nitro. He hits his button and turns himself into a giant car that goes fast. All the other racers cheer and hit their own nitros, screaming. Then they break and go, yeah, that's too fast. No, fuck. fuck red one. The announcer's all. This just in. The finish line for the race is at the top of something the racers can't reach. So all this was for nothing. Thanks for watching. Luckily, the magic princess makes a ramp spell. Elvis is all, damn, Machine Head's going to win. He calls Frisbee and repeats these sentences. Frisbee's all, don't worry, character. I put a bomb in your engine to kill you. But me and Burgess Meredith just shot the old man instead of me hitting this detonator. He hits the detonator. Elvis's engine explodes, which makes his car go fast. Machine Head tries to trick him by flying, but they trick him back by also flying. The announcer announces he needs to change his pants. The audience stands up and cheers the smell. As they fly in slow motion towards the finish line, Elvis is all, Sonashi, I love you. She's all, why? The announcer's all, the main character's won! But not just the race, each other. After he says the second part, even more money changes hands. The president's all, yes, we did it. Ah, hold a parade. As some Asian words scroll past on screen over a song about stress, I look over at ScarJo sitting beside me. ScarGo. Hey, I wrote you into my Coldcept script. Uh, can you play Caucasian? The end. <laughs> that explains a lot, Kelly Wand. That's I feel like I, I understand much more now. Yeah guess Anime. Give, us, give us an under and over all right so uh for over i would choose days of thunder um uh because i think seen... you've never seen days of thunder i know his name's cole trickle and i still haven't seen it he's blonde uh, because it has three elements uh of a car race that i think are missing from this that are vital um, and, uh, then under, I would put speed racer because that movie made me crazy angry. That's my under too. That's my under you jerks. I'm the one I even tried to watch it this week. It's the other movie I couldn't get through. Yeah, I couldn't either. I tried. I don't like how they split up the races in that movie. Like that takes me out of it. I think that was a big mistake they made besides I, everything. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I'm right. not sure I could narrow it down to one. Emil Hirsch isn't fun in that role. He looks annoyed and boring. It's a weird movie to even try to watch. Like it was like I didn't see it at the theater. Did you? 
No, 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 I just tried to watch it this week after after watching um, Redline. Uh, so it's my under as well. What's your over, Kelly Wand? My over is Akira. I think that's my favorite anime movie. Mm-hmm. That's the one that impressed me. Although it was kind of like from hell, where I really liked the movie, and then I read the comic and then or the manga. <laughs> What's the difference? I don't know. Just wanted to say right. it. But from hell, the comic or manga. Is, oh, from uh, hell, the comic. I thought you meant the experience was from hell, but you you were talking about a title. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, Alan Moore is from hell. All right. Um, I got you. Which I really like. But Akira, I think, is great. It's it's pretty en- engrossing, and it looks really good. I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen it in a long time. But but, but you're um, bracketing it close to this, then. Uh, yeah, but I really like this. I thought it was a fun movie. I, I'm pro Redline. I'm glad we got to watch it. But I think I was probably the least bored of the three of us. I felt I was watching it and feeling bad for you guys. Like I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have made you watch it. <laughs> there, there were times I was watching it thinking I, I, I love the fact that Kelly Wand is watching this. <laughs> yeah. See, I feel like the raffle was for me. I don't know. I mean, I think the joke was supposed to be that I don't like anime or just reading about anime, but I actually do like anime, but I don't really watch it. So when I do, it's kind of exotic, like a locked room mystery. Well, I don't, I'm not sure I would, I mean, this has certain, I mean, yeah, it's undeniable this is, this belongs in the category of anime, but I don't think this is necessarily typical anime. I would actually care. Well, I don't know. I don't know anime enough. And and I, I think a lot of anime also is like, like when I think of anime, I think of ongoing series is like, uh, have multiple issues. Um, and this is just a straight-up racing movie, uh, and the fact that it's stylistically, yeah, it's very much anime style, the way they express action scenes and, and, and the sort of histrionics of the characters, very, very anime, but I think that's just sort of like calling a movie black and white versus color. Uh, that's just the presentation. The substance of this is a racing movie, and so I would also put under it, and I'm not at all bracketing. I, I, I like this as well. I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, I would... I, Put just as a best case and worst case example of this kind of racing movie. Uh, so I'm not bracketing it at all. I'm getting as far away as I can to either extreme. And this would lean not. This would be somewhere in the middle. But a worst case example is Speed Racer, which was just a mess of a racing movie. Mm-hmm. And Kelly Wan, you mentioned the way it chops up the races. Uh, I think it's an example of. Obviously, so watching this and then watching Speed Racer, it's very clear what the Wachowskis were trying to do. They were trying to do a live-action version of a, of a kind of an anime presentation, of an animated uh, movie. And I feel it didn't work. Uh, you well. know, the cars looked more like like pinballs than yeah. cars. It could have been good. But the problem is the, the stylistic choices that, that – anime uses to represent things like speed and motion and and anger and intent like that stuff reads much better in animation than the wachowski's trying to realize it as real world stuff and it's just a messy movie anyway i mean it it just kind of furthered for me okay i guess i don't need to watch jupiter ascending after all um so but but my over which i think is a best case scenario of a racing movie uh is fury road because fury road has that same kind of vibe is let's get this picaresque collection of just weird wacky characters and throw them in a race and you know the the template was road warrior and i think george miller just realized it with modern movie making beautifully and with with characters and you know we all loved fury road fury road i think is what this sort of movie 
should be, uh, pretends towards, is let's have interesting, weird characters in a very fast kinetic environment involving cars with lots of character. Uh, so those are my over and under, not at all bracketed, but I think I'm with you, Kelly Wan, in that I, I quite enjoyed this. So Dingus, in putting uh, this down there with – I assume down there with Days of Thunder. I don't think Days of Thunder is any great movie making. I presume you're saying you weren't really into this? No, I was not at all. Uh, I mean you know, I first watched it in, the, in Japanese as, uh, with subtitles, um, and boy – was I disheartened by it? Uh, it just it doesn't work for me at all because I I don't think as a racing movie it even works because I I think it fails in three major categories. Oh, yeah, I yeah, I want to hear it, this. Yeah, go ahead. I don't right. think it makes uh, the drivers as characters very interesting or distinctive. I mean, other than this sweet JP and uh, Sonoshi, which I think Sonoshi is the most interesting character in the movie, and she's basically relegated to cuddling with him at the end. Um, and there's no payoff for that whole, like him watching her as, as a kid thing that happens. It's just, I, I, and the other drivers, the other drivers just sort of blend together to me. Uh, and, and I don't think the cars as characters works either, which is the second element. Uh, and one of the things about days of thunder is there's this whole ridiculous sequence where, uh, Duvall as the mechanic character is building the car and he's, he has this long, talk with the frame of the car as he tells the car frame what he's going to do and how he's going to build it and how I mean it's this really like touching supposedly touching like Bruckheimer moment with the music swelling as he tells the car how he's going to build it and I mean and but I don't think there's anything other than the the uh, uh, Trans Am uh, that's really a decent um, character car and her hover car doesn't make any sense because they talk about wheels at the beginning so and it, I, I never really understood who was who or which car was which the first time I watched it. Um, and then finally, the race courses character. The, the race course is never laid out. It's just amorphous. Um, and then you have a couple of surprises at the end with where the where the final where the finish line is set set out. Kind of in a in a way that made me think of Fast and Furious with the girls painting the road. Um, and in that first Fast and Furious for the street racing. Uh, I kind of like that, but the course itself isn't, doesn't have any character. So I don't know what they're doing. I have no idea. I have no idea what the course is. So those three character elements are totally missing for me. And that really bothered me. Now I, I will say this, watching the dubbed version was a much better experience. It's much funnier. Um, it actually has humor in it and yeah. it's much more vulgar, which I think really adds to it. Um, the language is, is very different. You know, the, the ass shot, for instance, she's like, oh, there's a picture of my butt. I mean, there's, there's the things in the, uh, in the subtitled version, just, I think it, the movie takes, it seems to take itself more seriously, but maybe that's just cause I'm uh. listening to Japanese listening to it in English. It has much more humor to it and much more character to it. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I watched both, but. On, on the whole, I, I didn't care for it. I wonder, Dingus, if you maybe don't have the, uh, the, the sort of video game DNA that would make this more familiar. Because th I, I watch this and I think of 
games like uh, there's a there's an early series called Wipeout, which is science fiction racing, and I presume you know that it has a very strong visual style, kind of like this movie. Even like Mario Kart, uh, the Carmageddon games, um, which I know you're peripherally familiar with, Tinkus. Um, right. There's a, a really good indie game out now called Redout, um, which is kind of the spiritual successor to Wipeout. Um, so I, you know, I. You say, Dingus, that the drivers aren't distinctive, the cars aren't distinctive, the location didn't have much character. And I don't necessarily disagree because I think they're all just sort of glib, hey, isn't this cool, almost video game presentations. Like, yeah, right. let's give this a super long cowl, and this one's going to be pink, and this other one's going to be menacing, and it's going to be have a black canopy, and it's going to shoot lasers. Because all of this stuff, there are there, there's not a lot of characterization here beyond, hey, let's do something that looks cool. Because and, and even choreography is the race. It's just everybody presses a button and something happens. Yeah. And that's what drove me bad. If Speed Racer like I couldn't Speed Racer was ridiculous with that. Like it had no it, it was it was absurd how someone would press a button and then something random would happen. At least well, he had five things though, like different buttons. But they all did. Like all, every car and that's kind of what gives presumably that's that's the only claim i think these different cars have to character like one shoots a chain that i'm not sure what it's doing uh one uh goes in the water yeah 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 uh but so i I, it just felt very glib and video random random you know what arbitrary arbitrary and random and somebody threw it in there because it looks cool and from years of playing video games i'm kind of used to that uh and i don't you, you know I, I I guess I don't necessarily look to to racing games for the kind of characterization that, that a movie should have. So in a way, I look I watch this movie and I'm like, oh, this is like Wipeout, and my brain just sort of drops any prerequisite for characters and interesting cars and a sense of location. Because Dingus is right, I don't think those are there. Yeah, it's, it's just funny though. It is well, like even, even the pod race. The pod race has more character than that. Ew, Dingus, I'm not going to go with you there. Sorry. You at least you love, know. You, you at least Greg know. Proops. You, you need Greg Proops to be calling your races, right, Dingus? Uh, please don't say that name. Uh, <laughs> I, I do not need to hear that name at this point in time. Um, it's just that you know, you get a, a sense of what each vehicle is for each character. And I never got a sense for that here. Who's, whose vehicle is what and why is it important? Um, maybe in the yellow line race, I had more of a sense of that, actually, oddly enough. They set it up better in the yellow line race than they did in the red line race. Uh, I, found, I myself, found that really frustrating. I, I found myself through the movie wondering, well, we had this kind of cool, kinetic, splashy opening race. Uh, how are they going to top that? Uh, and, and I kind of – the payoff worked for me for a few reasons. Uh, I thought there were enough kind of reveals or things that I didn't really see coming or that I'd forgotten about or uh, little twists. I love the bomb twist. I thought that was amazing writing. The, the the bomb twist was great, and yeah. as far as like I, I had to sort of back up and, and see oh did did uh I don't even know the old man, Spider Man's name but the old Spider Man reached around and and pressed the button oh wait yeah it was the Spider Guy that pressed the button that Frisbee was going to press right uh, right. right yeah so yeah. presumably he had reset the bomb because in the in the uh. in the yellow line race the bomb was used as it was supposed to be. it was a sabotage but in the red line race. It was it was set off to help them, so presumably pops had changed it. So he knew it was there. I didn't I mean, get he knew that. It was there. That's why he breaks through. That's why he goes. He's like, I'm not here to save you, and I'm taking this. 
I mean, he knows what's going on. Right? Uh, I guess that makes Otherwise, sense. Why I does kind of, work? Yeah, I mean, does show up. Like, how does I, it do why in the it first race, is, it, it destroys the car. Right, but it worked in the second race because anime. Right. Oh, because anime. Well, <laughs> JP is such a fucking idiot. He's he's wrecked three <laughs> times anyway. I mean, he wrecks his motorcycle in the desert. He wrecks during a test race. I mean, he's such a fucking douche. He's just trying to get the girl, though. He's a romantic. But he's yeah. just driving his motorcycle on the desert, and he just wrecks it. And he wrecks another car. He's in love. He's, he's, he's an idiot. Dumbass. I know. I like him, though. Uh, I, I found him less grating than I find most of these. So JP represents, I think, Japanese fascination with American culture. You know, he's a 50s guy with a pompadour ducktail thing, and he's driving a very American car. And uh, and I normally find that just kind of weird and annoying. But I, yeah, this guy, just did, if you accept him for what he is, is, hey, the Japanese are fascinated with Western culture, and this guy is our placeholder for that. I was okay with that. Way to subvert his one character trait by having Colonel Voltron have the same fucking head. I thought they were going to be related. <laughs> but I guess How the dumb same, is that? How the same, tone deaf is that? They're the same race. <laughs> yeah, the same it's race. Like, like, yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's the little parrot squawking urgent, urchin race. Uh, there's uh, humans. That's the thing. And then there's That's people right. with, with ducktail pompadours that are super exaggerated. It's a race. Oh. Let me say this. When when we started watching it, and I watched it with our friend Alexandra, um, you know, the movie cranks up and the dogs start talking and they're talking in English. And Alexandra immediately stops the movie and she's like, all right, if this is going to have talking dogs in it, I'm going to need it in Japanese. That, that's her quote. <laughs> if, this, if this is going to have talking dogs in it, that's her I'm going to need it in Jack and Japanese. So we switched over to the Japanese track and watched it to that. Because it had talking dogs in it. And then halfway through the movie, you're like, where did all the talking dogs go? Come on, yeah, bring back gone. the talking dogs. Right on Yellow Line Planet. Yeah, I, I, talking dogs are weird to me. I don't, I don't approve of talking dogs. Especially, especially since they have human hands. Did you notice that? They're, they're, yeah, they're like popping pistachio seeds in their mouth with human hands. That's the thing. It's not trying to go, this is what the future is going to be like. It's anime. <laughs> Yeah. It's like it's like a Ralph Bakshi movie. It's like Wizards. You know, Kelly Wand, you say that, but I was reminded of of heavy metal, uh, yeah. specifically some of the really grotesque animation in that. There's a sequence where I think a guy named Eugene is on trial on some space station, and he's a mild mannered, or no, someone anyway. There's this mild mannered janitor on a space station who who sort of hulks out and becomes this murderous, roided up monster. Uh, and and it's super grotesque animation that I don't know if it's influenced by anime. Uh, when I saw that as a kid, I but the Hanover Fist guy was that his name? He, he's a he's he he like is there's a there's a guy on trial and yeah the, he's, the meek janitor gets infected by the green heavy metal orb and then he hulks out and becomes this monster right. and he chases the guy on trial through the through the space station he's wrecking through steel bulkheads and whatnot uh, but it's just super exaggerated and grotesque uh, and there's some of that kind of artwork here that it reminded me of you know you mentioned that Ralph Bakshi stuff um, so I, I kind of enjoyed how it reminded me of heavy metal in the same way that I presume you kind of liked seeing Ralph Bakshi. Uh, no, heavy metal is probably a better analogy. Cause there well, was... heavy metal also has very different stylistic – like there are different animators doing the different segments in heavy metal. Um, and the jokes are intentional. Like it's, it's – you know, 
it's messing it's putting jokes in to like act like pulpy action stuff in here or in heavy metal in red line in heavy, heavy metal, metal right right but Bakshi's Bakshi's kind of less artful <laughs> he's just kind of like cool world's a huge mess like right. this is what cool world w- wishes it was right um, yeah yeah, so yeah Bakshi's probably a dumb analogy but that's why I like like that's why the stuff Dingus was talking about wasn't in wasn't affecting me very much because I was just taking it as like sensory input of anime and like, okay, yeah, the dogs like pistachios. Like that's your (laughs) opening shot. Like you're going, that's the first thing it shows you like, all right, you're either on board or not with that. And then the rest of the movie is like less weird. Yeah. If you can accept dogs eating pistachios, you can accept that there's going to be a big kaiju battle at the end of the race (laughs) because why not? Yeah, you don't need a backstory for Funky Boy more than that. Right. So just sensory input. Uh, really, I, I don't really necessarily disagree with that. Me. Yeah, it's I don't necessarily really frustrating disagree with that. Uh, I, I think Chris Markinson is on is on with you guys. By the way, uh, Chris Markinson watched it with subs. He watched it with subtitles. He did. He said he did not see the boobs coming. Um, uh, and he said he he had a pretty enjoyable time watching this, although he didn't like it that much. He thinks he would have loved it as a teenager, but as a forty-year-old, yeah. not so much. Yeah, he doesn't think it's for him. I just watched it as a teenager, though. Yeah. I can kind of plug in. Since well, I haven't I'm, really, I'm confused about this sensory input thing because uh, I asked a bunch of friends for like input, like, all right, like the give me arts. a couple things. Give me a couple things I should watch, and anime-wise, because I I don't have anything beyond Ghost in the Shell, Makara. That's all I've got. Uh, give me some, and and you know, and I put Miyazaki in a different cabinet. I don't really yeah. think of that in in the way yeah, I think yeah. this kind of thing. So so give me some ideas. And right away, um, Alexandra and a number of other people said, "Well, I don't know why you guys are watching a movie because anime is really best realized in episodic form." Uh, and I couldn't get anybody to explain mm, why that is to me. Uh, so I ended up watching a couple of shows. You know, uh, what, do you, I, what do you think? Well, I, I, Kelly Wand, I really like the way you put it as sensory input because it makes me think of uh, l- looking at a painting or listening to uh, a symphony or something. Is you, you don't expect the normal things you would expect from a narrative, the character development, the things right. that Dingus says is missing. Uh, and I kind of – I think once you accept that, once you see dogs eating pistachios and you realize, okay, this is not normal rules, what rules are going to be established, and you pretty much realize as everybody presses a convenient button to make something happen, uh, you're just making up the rules as you go. So basically right. you're saying there are no rules. Well, okay, then I'm just going to sit back and ha- enjoy the sensory input. You know, this crazy representation of speed, the guy with the pompadour, uh, the the hot chick saying, oh, we're not going to use magic. Wait a minute. There's magic? Okay, there was magic in this. I didn't yeah, know. Just uh, her, though. Just, and and it, it, <laughs> what, I, what I think might sort of be going on here, I don't, I don't know a lot of comic books. I don't follow comic books. And a lot of times when I read comic books, I kind of get frustrated because I'm not sure, should I be paying more attention to the artwork or to the text? Right, right. Because I love reading books. I love visual media. Uh, and I'm not super – acclimated to how I'm supposed to balance my attention when I'm reading a book written over lots of splashy visual media. That's just not a medium that that I understand. Uh, So I suspect that's a lot of what anime is doing is it's appealing to people who like that splashy sensory input underneath what they're reading or the story that they're hearing. Um, And that's why there's that connection, I believe, between manga and and anime. Um, 
Jesus, that's diff- why the episodic thing works, because well, that, you that, need exactly, that in small gonna, bites? Exactly what I was going to say is that episodic sort of thing is that rather than – because it's not <laughs> – it's like lost. It's not coherent enough to tell a self-contained <laughs> story, so it will yeah. instead just draw out things and make up a crazy story as it goes well, along. It'll be digested in one sitting, or it'll make right. you sick. Right, exactly. It's a great way to put it because I ended up watching a bunch of a series called Cowboy Bebop because a lot of people suggested I watch that. And I really actually liked it a lot. But you definitely get the sense that anything can happen. Wait, why do you like Cowboy Bebop? I just – I like – some of the sensibility i like some of the way it's just weird i liked the music to it and i like that it was in basically 24 minute chunks and i could go on to something else for a while and not feel guilty like when i leave a movie for when i pause a movie and go on to something else i feel guilty i feel like i have to watch a movie in a whole chunk and this cowboy bebop thing i felt like anything could happen in any moment and, the, and there were no rules, like you guys said, with this. But with a movie, for some reason, I kind of resent that. I feel like I'm putting myself in your hands for an hour and a half or two hours, and I feel like I should be able to trust you. Well, do you feel that way about Tree of Life? No, I feel like I'm in good hands in Tree of Life. Well, but Tree of Life doesn't also doesn't have rules. I mean, Tree of Life suddenly, hey, there's dinosaurs. We we're going from a movie about a dead child to uh, a flashback to, to dinosaurs, and now we're looking right. at galaxies. And then I mean, because right. I think, because and I say that thing is because I think Tree of Life is similar is a similar approach to its it's a sensory experience. That's a lot of what it's doing. Terrence Malick isn't telling you a conventional mm. narrative. I still don't understand why Sean Penn is running around on the beach and there's people standing yeah. there. Real life, right? But I love Tree of Life. I, I, and I, I, I love it for the sensory input that Terrence Malick offers, and it makes me feel a certain way. There's an emotion there, if not necessarily a, a coherent narrative. Um, and yeah, that's, it, a really, that's a really good point, actually. But maybe it's the emotional <laughs> weight that that holds me into it. Well, there's no emotional anchors weight here. Me. Yeah, yeah. There's no like right. life is all emotional weight. There's no emotional weight here. Uh, right. Which yeah, so yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's not all character. Yeah, it's all caricature. It's exaggeration. It's it's histrionics, which is and it's so much color and weird terrain and, yeah. and no rules as far as the terrain is concerned or how the how the vehicles move, so that I start to just lose interest in in one. Is there going to be a news crawl soon? I mean, really, I <laughs> I don't have anything to anchor I me never, to this. There's no story to anchor me to it. I never got bored. Like I always thought it was sort of kind of giving me what I needed to know and like what each character wanted. Or like just enough about Robo World to give a shit. Like it wasn't it wasn't wasting my time with explanations. It's like, all right, don't wake up funky boy. <laughs> I don't know if I was bored, but the signal to noise ratio. I mean, there's just so much noise. But that's not noise to me. Like yeah. I like looking at it. Like the art oh, I thought was really beautiful and detailed. And well like, that's the thing too, is I, I associate anime with kind of being cheap and quickly produced. I don't know if that's right. fair, but I thought this was gonna be you know, like those G.I. Joe cartoons and Masters of the Universe. Like, I kind of think, heavy oh. Metal. And even heavy metal. Right, right. But I thought there was a lot of really nice craft to this. And it was yeah. a, a gorgeous – I would say, I'll say gorgeous. I thought it was a gorgeous movie. Um, like, I, there was always something that I was like, wow, that looks kind of cool. I'm kind of enjoying yeah. all the detail and the color. Like a comic. Yeah. And then Dingus, so I, I understand – like, I could – completely understand that being perceived as as noise if it's not working for you but to me right. the noise was the signal i, I it guess was music to me but also akira was the first movie to kind of like go, let's make it look good like anime it kind of it was 
all the principles of anime, but it was really well drawn. And I, I don't know if you've seen Heavy Metal recently, Tom, but like I did. it really I doesn't. It. I did watched you? a year or so ago. Yeah, it looks way crappier than I remembered it. Like I know. It, when it came out, I was like, "This animation's amazing." God damn! And now well, it's it said a lot about the state of animation back then. Like we're we're right. all you know, it's way pre Pixar and even yeah, yeah. And it worked for me on other levels too. But like the art for me doesn't hold up at all. Like and wake it's and this this art I thought was really good. Well, the art in heavy metal is kind of like just aggressively rough and dirty. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Ugly. It's anime. <laughs> yeah, well, it's intentionally ugly at times, I think, and yeah. it, yeah. effectively so. Um, there's, I don't think there's, I can't think of a single segment in heavy metal where something is trying to look pretty or colorful or flashy. Like I think heavy metal, heavy metal is supposed, it's supposed to take place in kind of weird, dumpy universes. Um, yeah, but there's shots. Right, the, the, the the animation is pretty rough in, in heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah, and there's shots in this. Like in heavy metal, there's a lot of reaction shots where nothing's moving, and in that it seems cheap. But there, there's stuff like that in Redline too. But I always felt like it was a timing thing. Like it was always like if there's like a long shot of the of the junkyard, it's because it's like you're transitioning. So I have a question about the timing. Is this meant to be broadcast on TV? Because a lot of the edits seemed like what happens yeah, when you get a TV break. movie, like a commercial break edit. Maybe it's maybe it was cut up. Like Speed Racer was, because Speed Racer in its Japanese format. Well, I can't imagine the DVD that's been released. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe they just threw the stuff onto a DVD. But I really did feel that, and I, I would actually be curious if those those breaks were at regular intervals, which would definitely imply that they were for commercials. But editing it, it really did at times seem like, oh, I'm watching a TV show. Um, but there were other times, though, I, I really did appreciate the juxtaposition of like noise and silence or movement and stillness. Uh, where I did feel that there was some kind of artfulness uh, to 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 the way it was being edited and the way it was playing with things like sound. Yeah, and I got used to its rhythms. Yeah, yeah. To the point where I was actually more engaged in the race than I think Dingus would have believed possible. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, Robo World's really going, really going to screw up this. Who's going to go for? <laughs> and like every race is like a photo finish, but all the racers know who won, even though it's like a millisecond. I, I was also wondering, were we supposed to know who won there? Like, I couldn't yeah. quite tell. I had to wait for the announcer. Right. Marcus thought know. that Machine had won. That's, yeah, I, I was, yeah, I was, I couldn't quite tell. It did not seem visually clear to me. And then Machine Head was a gracious loser at the end, which I thought was yeah, immediately. He immediately that's, flipped. He's like, oh, that's, that's cool. That was interesting. Yeah. I think he says, that was interesting. Bro, I almost had you. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between, counting one, two, three, feet apart, and I'm free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves open. Oh, Kelly Wan, you made me sad. It's way too soon to be referencing Paul Walker lines. Yeah, what? Seriously. It's too soon? I need another about eight, ten years. It feels too soon for Furious 8. Uh, yeah, be called the Fate of the Fury. Yeah, what's the? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. You guys are, I think, way more invested in the Fast and Furious series than I am. By the way, me and Dingus are just me. Yeah, you and Dingus. Yeah, I'm very invested. I broke up with it a while ago. What? Oh yeah, you did. Yeah. I think Five's the best one, and it's your least favorite. Yeah, I'm just not there. I, you know, I here you go. I would put any recent Fast and Furious movie under Redline. Eh, it's apples and oranges. 
I well, I was, I was hoping that would outrage Dingus a little more. It does make me a little annoyed. I'm not going to lie to you. This movie is just so busy. It's just a busy. It's. It, I mean, I prefer my animation a little cleaner. I don't know. I, this is just too busy for me. It just drives drove me crazy. And I mean, the cleanest parts of those is video game like card parts. Who's the Who's the next contestant? They do like cards like you would have to select when you're playing a video game. Oh, I'll select that dude. Even that stuff. I mean, it, none of it was pervasive. It drove me nuts. And then the animation, and you guys say it's beautiful, and Chris Markinson says it's beautiful, too. Uh, I, I didn't find it beautiful. I just found it just a smear of colors and just noise. Uh, mean well, Kelly Wand and I thought it was touching. Magical. <laughs> Speaking of touching, Dingus, oh, yes. what is this week's 3x3? Three three? Oh. oh, very nicely done, Tom. <laughs> See? All right, these are your oh, real three. quick, I do. I, real quick, I do want to say I forgot to say this. Uh, we have a friend, Bruce Garrick, who he has this Bruce Garrick rule that all movies take too long to end. Uh, mm-hmm. This movie did not break the Bruce Garrick rule. As soon as they crossed the finish line, it was clear who over. won, and, and we got yeah, Bill Ward love, and then over. I I, yeah. I was like, wow, Bruce Garrick would approve of this movie's ending. Right. You really think Bruce would like the word love up there, just so we didn't, just so we know what's going on? I think he would say it didn't end two minutes, too, ten minutes too late, which is the it's not Garrick. Return of the King. And, oh, so they didn't have the Star Wars medal ceremony, so this, right. that makes this movie better than Star Wars. It told, Dingus, you said it, not me. Good point. The medal ceremony's dumb. <laughs> it really it makes is. Them it's look too rich. They the get medal- from there. It's the last thing you see before Hoth. Like, yeah, all right, we did it, and then. <laughs> Much later. Oh God, we're in the snow now. Okay, what? Sorry, <laughs> that's a famous line. Oh God, playing. we're in the snow now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's Tupio. I lapsed. I forgot he was in the Revenant. He's my backup, uh, Super Ed. All right, so Dingus, give <laughs> us the topic for this week's three by three. Yeah, or right, these are your three favorite touches. That are not sexual or violent. Oh, I don't oh, know why you got to say it like that. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm all right. All right. Remember to add that too. Uh, you, you know what? That. I might have screwed. I yeah, I, I remember he said that. I might have. Okay, never mind. He said person touching a person. Yeah, you're not like talking about buildings touching other buildings. These are three favorite touches that are not sexual or violent. That's okay. pretty I could, be, I could be minorly in trouble. Pro- nothing more than a misdemeanor. No felony infraction. What if it's sexual, but it is a building? Does that count? <laughs> Kelly, Wan, you, I like, Kelly Wan, you're going to jail b- in front of me. One of these is probably jail bait. <laughs> oh, God, jail bait. Well, I'm introducing next week's 3 by 3 so I'm going to start out. This is the one where I might get in trouble because violence is involved, and – whether or not it's a person is debatable, but I'm going to say it is. Um, it's the end of Time Bandits where the little boy is like, Mom, Dad, don't touch it. It's evil. Ah, and they, immediately, they immediately reach in and because it's the toaster oven that burned the house down. They immediately reach in and poke it with their fingers. Yeah, it is. It's like pure evil. And isn't, it, isn't that David Warner in there? He's the, the one time. Oh, yeah. Because no. he's no, pure evil. Wait. Yeah, he's the devil. Yeah, you're thinking of legend, Kelly Wand. Oh my God! Jesus. Uh, but yeah, so it's so he's he's a compressed chunk of like coal at this point. That's right. a toaster oven. But it, it, so they touch that and they immediately explode. 
And I'd forgotten that bit too. I know they touched it and died, but I'd forgotten it's such a Terry Gilliam, Monty Python-esque thing. He just has them blow up and they're uh-huh. gone and there are little smoking heaps uh, where they were standing. Uh, so there is violence. The touch itself, not violent. The thing they're touching, not technically a person, but implying that they're, you know, if Puri was went, a person, it was a person, yeah, who became that. Um, Unlike a building. But I love that he says, Mom and Dad, don't touch it. And the actor and the actress playing the Mom and Dad just immediately poke their fingers at it. You know, they hear him and then they look at it and they reach in there and they, they poke it uh, and then explode. And he's left an orphan outside his ruined home. And that's the end of Time Bandits. Uh, who is the famous firefighter? And Sean Connery, Connery winks at him. Right. Sean Connery is the fireman, who, and he winks at him driving away like, hey, you have yeah. no mom and dad. You have no house yeah. to live in. Everything was you're a welcome. fantasy, and you only have these pictures, and I'm leaving you. Yeah, you're welcome. Have, have fun standing in front of your ruined house, little boy. And he winks and drives away. Like, wow, that's, that's kind of a dick move. All right. Well, since you know it's Sean Connery, I'm going to let you off. Sweet. He has second billing in that movie, I think. Agamemnon. Uh, really weird, yeah. I think it goes like John Cleese, Sean Connery, but I was surprised in the opening credits. I was like, wow. Boy, the first time I saw that movie was um, at, with my youth group at my church late at night. Uh, <laughs> um, somebody just – we had some sort of like – it wasn't a lock-in. I don't know if you guys know what a lock-in is. Do you know what a lock-in is? I know no, what a lemon party is. Sure. What was the question? A lock-in? A lock-in. Is it in. like a chastity belt? No, it's, it's where... <laughs> for, but for a whole community? <laughs> kind of. But, yeah, I'm uh, wearing one. It would have the opposite effect, actually. Where you would like have a youth group like uh, get together at night. They they like put you all in a gym, lock the doors, and you're going to stay there all night. And you, you, you know, You'll have a bunch of counselors. Not counselors, but uh, chaperones and whatnot. But it's, Tickle party. it's like... Yeah, it's like a big tickle party. Uh, but we were just all having a movie night for my youth group, and somebody had chosen Time Bennett's. And my mom is just sitting there like, I can't believe I'm letting these kids watch this. this is oh, that's great. Crazy. See? It's crazy. That's the thing. That's what I'm saying. That's why and, Kieran and – never mind. And the thing I remember my mom saying over and over again as we watched it was like, this has to be a Ringo Starr movie. Is this a Ringo Starr movie? This has to be really? a Ringo Starr movie. Why, Caveman? Why would she? I have no idea. What's I have no a Ringo idea Starr what movie? I don't know. I honestly don't He's know. He's only a Caveman, and it's his only movie. But Unless she thought he, it was produced by him or something. I don't know. It was totally it's weird on her part. It's British and weird. But that's a movie that's also a, that I, has the the problem. The problem is returning. The problem. Isn't that that movie? Where like uh, where Eric Idle is obviously having some sort of sexual difficulties, and they're and he and his uh, wife or his betrothed are tied lashed to trees, and he's like, "Oh, the problem is returning." Oh, Shelley Duvall is that is that the Shelley? Oh, is Duvall it Shelley Duvall? Maybe yeah, not. Maybe. Or know. Catherine Helmond. At any rate, I watched it with a youth group, and everybody was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, you guys are I too will- young. Remember when I saw Diner with my strict grandma? She made yeah. us watch. It was a stranger to fiction. <clears throat> All right, it is your third uh, favorite touch in a movie, Kelly Wan. Is this the one that's going to get you in jail? No, this is the only one that is not going to get me in jail. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> oh, 
Because uh, I real quick, I want to do. I sorry uh, for mine because touch can be a fairly vague word. It can be a, all of mine were fingertip touches. Like I wanted to specifically limit myself to somebody like touching with a fingertip and not because Markinson freaking Markinson posted all of these great this gallery of little animated snippets of all these great touches and some of them right. were people holding hands or someone putting a head on someone's shoulder. Uh, so I, I limited myself to fingertips. So now that I made it past jail on time bandits, I'm in, I'm in clear, I'm legally speaking, I'm in the clear and I've even set very strict rules for myself. So Kelly Wand, how did you approach this? What's your third pick? I just approached it. My number three is, uh, <laughs> warily with a stick. Um, so, like the old man in the blob, that's how I approached it. <laughs> the wino. Is there, is there a difference between a wino and a bum in the 50s? Well, yeah, a, wino, a bum isn't necessarily drunk. That's a good point. He's just poor. Right. He, may not he be can be drunk, but his right. main superpower is that he's poor. The main superpower of a wino is that he's drunk. He might also he be poor. Rich. Uh, he could there be rich, of- right, right. And a bum could be a teetotaler. Yeah, that's true. So, Kelly, one, do you have any other questions about semantics or language? I can help you out. Also, semantics. Oh, my number three is the movie Living in Oblivion. There's a scene where uh, there's like a DP with an eye patch. Oh, Dylan McDermott. Or no, Dermot Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney. No, wait. Yeah, Dermot Mulroney. Yep. Dylan McDermott Mulroney. (laughs) Magdalene Martha May. Uh, Wow. I forget his name though. Wolf. Oh, very good. Wow, Kelly Wand. Nicely and done. They, he loses his girlfriend to a Brad Pitt uh, actor. No, Chad James LeGrode, not playing Brad Pitt, according to the director. Definitely not Brad Pitt, he said. Really? Which means it is Brad That's an Pitt. urban legend. <laughs> no, it means it is. Right. I mean, he clearly he has to say that, I imagine. Didn't he work with him? Uh, Tom DeCillo, I believe is the name. Yeah, because his previous movie had been something called, I think, Johnny Swade with Brad Pitt. And then he makes this movie making fun of a good-looking superstar who was an airhead. Uh, right. And everyone asks him, was that Brad Pitt? And he has to say, no, definitely not Brad Pitt. It was not Brad Pitt, which is the equivalent of saying that while you're shaking your head up and down. Yes, that's my <laughs> thinking. <laughs> right. All right, so I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So uh, Wolf is the DP. He's got an eye patch. His girlfriend is is uh has been stolen away by James LeGros character Palomino. who is definitely not Brad Pitt. Yeah. And then Dermot Mulroney is pretending he's not that bummed about it and he's like, oh, I understand, it's cool. I, mean, I just want you to be happy so he hugs her and he looks really depressed like when she can't see his face. And then Steve Buscemi's the director of the shoot and his mom came out of a sanitarium for some reason in a bathrobe. She's on set. And then the DP is sitting like alone by himself and uh, he's crying. And then the mom comes up to him and like touches him on the cheek, like lifts his eye patch so his tear can run down his cheek. So that was my number three. Well, do you remember she also sets off that great moment where uh, the apple? Um, I don't remember the apple bit. Is that with the dwarf? Yeah, with Tyrion. Are you talking about Catherine Keener? Yeah, where Catherine Keener has that sense memory of her mother tucking her hair behind her ears. I thought that's what you were going to do. 
Uh, and it and it triggers her getting that scene right. And Wolf is off puking in the bathroom because craft services didn't give them fresh milk. And so, right. so the scene doesn't get shot. Um, yeah, so he misses the shot. Yeah, but it's that I, it's that same woman who I, I believe who tucks her hair. Yeah, because she's playing the old woman who tucks Catherine Keener's hair behind her ears. I love well, in that movie how – and it's, it's so cool seeing actors do this. Actors like showing examples of here's this as a bad actor. Here's this as a better actor. Here's this as a better actor. Here's this as a great actor. Like ooh. she's so good doing that in, in Living in Oblivion. Uh, yeah. It's like it's like Emma Stone in La La Land, for instance. It's like, oh yeah, she's a great actor. You can see that. It's stupid material. But I love that bit in Living in Oblivion where you realize, wow, yeah, she's a really good actress, and this sense memory awakened it, awakened it in her. But then that part turns out to be a dream. Well, you know, he shot it. At, so Tom DeCillo has a like Living in Oblivion has a, a sort of weird backstory in that. It was originally began, I think, as a short, and then he got funding for it, and then he was going to make it into a feature-length film, and then like he lost the funding. And but Living in Oblivion was sort of made as different things as it went along. So I think this idea that it was all a dream is kind of how he had to wrap it up for reason for business reasons. I think. Oh. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but listening to one of the director's commentary talk. Uh, Living in Oblivion went through several different iterations as they were making it. So I'm wondering if that dream thing was just something that they were forced into doing. That's interesting. Yeah. Because it all kind of hangs together really well. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway. All right. Dingus, well, yeah. uh, is Kelly Wan going to jail yet? Nah. All right. What do you mean, nah? That's a great one. Of course he's not going to jail for that. <laughs> I'm going to well, jail. I'm, saying, I'm, I'm still in jail. I'm just doing this for myself. What are you in jail for? Stark Tower, touching New York, as in the erection in New York. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he we fried him. <laughs> wow, Dingus is like so ridiculous. Yeah, All right, good. I don't feel so bad about my number one. Luckily, you uh, scattered my body parts, and they've been uh, grafted onto other people. So other people are going to become podcasters by the Ugnots. Oh, not everything Star Wars, Kelly Wand. Oh, sorry. All right, Dingus, what is your third favorite touch in a movie? All right, here's a quote from it. Remember. Ah, uh, wait. It's some X-Men thing or something. No, it's oh. Star Trek Wrath of Khan. Oh, um, oh God. <laughs> my God. I love That's it. That's my reaction. Talk. Kelly, I, just nope. didn't, I didn't vocalize that. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. What? Look, can I guess? I don't because I haven't seen Wrath of Khan probably since it was in theaters. Spock touches someone and reads his mind. Mm. Or no, no. Spock touches someone yeah, and probably puts thoughts into his mind. Yeah, he downloads he himself his, or yeah, uploads himself. Yeah. Well, there's two touches in that scene, and um, that this is one of the things I love about this is that um, the Vulcan death grip, even though it's called that, uh, is not violent in that moment. He's not using that as a violent thing, and that's not really the touch I'm talking about. But that's, you know, when Spock is saying, "I'm going to go in there," and McCoy's like, "You can't, you cannot do this," and Spock's like, "Yeah, maybe you're right. How's uh, how's Scotty doing over there?" And as soon as McCoy turns away from him, he gives him the old touch, uh, and then when he goes down onto the floor, when he sinks down like into his weird unconscious state, 
Spock puts his hand on his face where, where they would normally do the mind meld and just does this weird little remember. Uh, and it's just such a beautiful little moment because of what happens later on. Does and I remember, Scotty? no, he does it to McCoy. <laughs> oh, McCoy, right. Which is what's so beautiful about it is because they have such an antagonistic relationship, but they still really respect and care for each other. Uh, but they can never really convey that because Spock doesn't really show emotion and McCoy is an irascible bastard. Um, and you know, was constantly insulting Spock. So, uh, McCoy's there and it just so happens that he's the one that he uploads his entire memory bank up into in that weird Vulcan thing that he does. Uh, and I didn't know what the hell that was. I remember seeing this movie in a theater and going, what, what does that mean? What does that remember mean? Why is he putting his hand on his face and doing that? And then going into the radiation room and then you just sort of let that go. And then it comes back in Star Trek three, the search for Spock. That that's what that's why he was doing it, um, because I think what uh, Leonard Nimoy was doing is as far as the at least the uh, I don't know if it's an urban legend or at the time he was kind of asking to be written out of it because right. he he hated so much the the whole um, process of doing the motion picture and he's like I want to do other things just write me out of the next one um, but they. But as the as the second one went on, it became a better and better experience because it was a better movie. And I think they figured out a way or or they had this failsafe in there to bring him back. And I love the way that they did that. And I love that it's through touching McCoy's face of all people. Um, but after after putting him to sleep and then putting his fingers on his face, which is a very intimate thing uh, and not violent and not sexual. That we know of. Yeah. But I, you know, I I mean, I know it's a silly thing to pick a Star Trek movie for this type of thing. And I felt this way, even in the weird inverted version of this scene that you see with Chris Pine and um, Zachary Kinto. Uh, It, it still brings tears to my eyes every time I watch this, the scene that ensues, even with as bad as William Shatner is. Um, I, I still get tears in my eyes whenever I watch Wrath of Khan. Dingus, don't be ashamed of liking Star Trek. I love the Charlie's Angels movies, and I have no shame about that. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. I'm the Drew Barrymore, huh? And the Spock. Dingus is McCoy. <laughs> that would make and, me Lucy Lou. No. Wait, I have to be Cameron Diaz? Yeah, you're Cameron Diaz. Yeah, that makes you're sense. You're the dancer. Wait, so who's Lucy Lou? Dingus you. is. Yeah. Oh, You're Lucy so, Liu and McCoy. Ha ha. So Tom has to shake his butt up on stage. Wait, who am I in Star Trek then? I'm a triple. Kirk. Kirk? Kirk. Sweet. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll take it. Fine. You get Kirk. All right, I want to tell you guys about my second favorite touch in a movie. Uh, this is not. It, it's a thumb, a finger. Ask Megan Fox. Because <laughs> she has grotesque thumbs. Well, you know, I'm still, in, I'm still interested. But. All right. <laughs> Uh, so What's the th- tail look like? This is uh, th- uh, this is in La La Land during uh, What a Waste of a Lovely Night, which is the the little song and dance they do overlooking Los Angeles. And I'm not sure what he's doing and what this is, but when they've both when they're both sitting on the bench, Ryan Gosling does this thing where he licks his thumb and then he touches her shoulder. And I think it's supposed to be like you're sizzling hot or something. And then she she doesn't want any part of it and she pulls her shoulder away. But I love that little gesture. Um, 
and I don't quite understand it. So I was hoping that by picking it as my number two, you guys could explain it to me. Is it non-faked? When a man likes a woman. <laughs> Both of those help. What's your question? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it, actually. Oh, it's such a cute little touch. I mean, they have such choreo. I mean, all it's part of the choreography. All the choreography yeah, okay. these great little interactions. But they're on the bench, and he does a thing where he licks his finger, and he's going to touch her on the shoulder. I and she pulls see it as she's a book he's going to read, and he's lick. He's t- licking his thumb before he turns the page. So I see. It is kind of that gesture, like it. lick your thumb, like yeah. before you. Ah. Touch. Yeah. Which I've always found a really weird habit in people. I don't. Get well, you know, it'll do. it'll get you killed if you're in in a monastery in the name of the rose. Mm, oh, right, right. Poison the ink. Spoiler. Sorry to ruin that. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always found that a weird gesture, too. And I will say, one of my favorite non-faked physical gestures, I don't know why I remember this. You guys don't like this movie. I love this movie. When they wake up Matt Damon in Interstellar, and he's going yes. over his notes for the planet, he's licking his finger and doing that and going through pages. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. Know. Why don't you guys understand that? And that's how you separate the pages. If your fingers are dry, they, the pages won't You're separate. You're getting saliva on the page. It's yeah. Weird. Yeah, but how else are you going to do that? I mean, that's why. Just like, turn the page. When, <laughs> yeah, just turn it. What, what are you talking about? You I have can't paper. separate the paper, paper if your fingers are dry. If you're if you're, yeah, if you're doing that for that, you may as well do it for like when you chop down a tree. You should just lick your thumb every time you pick up that hatchet. And it's what are you talking about? Those things are me. not at all. That that's not an analogy. They're both wood pulp. You did. Yeah. Same no. hand, same handle. See? Think about it. I just owned you. Owned you, bitch. Yeah, you, you leased me, and now you what? got a balloon payment, bitch. Oh, Tom. I'm, I'm with, with Kelly. I don't understand. I have never been able, unable to turn a page without licking my fingers. I've always prevailed. Have you guys yeah. ever worked retail and had to deal with a lot of money? Like dealing out change and whatnot? That's even grosser. Yeah, it's gross, that means everybody's but, but, you, but, but if you don't get the if you don't separate the bills properly, you're gonna get dinged with your cash register. That's why you see uh, people I, with that have those little like weird little every now and then like a little glass bowl with a uh, with a sponge in it, and they just yeah. stick their finger in that it's rather even than grosser because it, it gets mouth. all dirty. Like you keep you're making yeah. a little cesspool of of germ. You have to separate pages and you have to separate bills, and that doesn't happen automatically. I can do it without saliva because I'm a superhuman. You're not superhuman. Sorry. It seems easier without it. Like I think yeah. if I did the saliva thing, I'd I'd go wait what? I think now I know why you guys read books so fast. You're you're basically turning every five pages. Thing is, why don't you just turn the page with your tongue then? Yeah. I got it. You, you do it with, like, when I you get. I mean, I do that you, with Penthouse. Do you do it with Kindle too? Do you lick uh, your finger when you advance page in the Kindle? You click that button on the side. Ha ha. Not not my finger. Gee, wow. His thumb. Kelly, on quick, give us your second favorite instance of touch before this gets too vulgar. Uh, (laughs) Wait, we're on two? Yes. All right. Maybe I'll get in trouble for this one. You sound hopeful. Well, no, I I have two different ones, but one might get me in jail and the other one's safe. I'm trying to decide which one to go with. So I may go with the trouble (laughs) one. All right, if one of them's Lawnmower Man, go with that one. There's no touching in that movie. Okay, it's never mind. Cyber, brah. Um, in the Dudley Moore film Holy Moses, with Lorraine Newman, um, 
one of the characters uh, looks back at Sodom and she turns into a pillar of salt, Lot's wife. Mm-hmm. And then later, they're in the kitchen and Dudley Moore is making a salad and he like he has like the statue behind him in the kitchen and he like scrapes a little salt off. I cannot believe I remember this. I cannot freaking believe that I know exactly what you're talking about. Wow. <laughs> which means he carried her all the way home and put her in the kitchen, which to me is cool. So is Holy Moses a Mel Brooks movie then? No. Okay. It feels like it, but it's It really not. does. It's, yeah, even you describing the scene. It's their way of doing – their, their way of Americanizing life of Brian, but with Dudley So you're, you're talking about a dude touching a statue. No, because she was, was a person. Oh, here's the thing. I'll go to here, here Kelly. I want to help you. Good lord, if, you guys. If my if my instance of David Warner becoming ultimate evil as a chunk of, right. of burned remains in the toaster oven, Kelly Wan's instance of of a woman being turned into salt, I, I would think would also have to stand. One's black, one's white. So if Kelly Wan has to go to jail, I might have to as well. That's what I'm saying. See. And then who's going to be left to do the three by three dingus? I think I'm going to send you both to the salt mines of Kessel, what? actually. You were fine with it before. Hold on, hold on, hold yeah, on, I'm hold on. Increasingly there are no – Kelly, uh, Kelly Wan, hold on. This is very important. Dingus, there are no salt mines on Kessel. There are spice mines. Yeah. I'm very, very disappointed in you. You come to jail too. Salt's not a spice, you fool. Salt God. mines of Kessel. Ridiculous. can't believe it. God. He thinks salt comes from Kessel. Can you believe I that? I know. I've never seen a salt taker with the word Kessel on it. Me either. Says because yeah. he lives in bubble world. Salt mines. That's like not knowing the name of the Nutari Nebula. That's like <laughs> thinking pepper comes from semen Beaumont. Ew. For um, planet. My uh, my stepfather was a track coach. Uh, he was a high school teacher, and he was also a high school track coach, and he was really good at it. Um, and I I ran track in uh, elementary school, and I was pretty good at that. And I you know he coached me a little bit just to help me learn how to run. And when I was uh, doing... Always lick was, your thumb when you start running. You definitely have to lick your thumb in order to turn your shoe. your shoe. <laughs> um, but when I was running a sprint in one of our training sessions, I looked back over my shoulder at, at, the, at whoever I was training against. And my stepfather said, when you're, when you're running this sprint, you can't look back. Other, uh, otherwise, you'll be turned into salt like Lot's wife. Jesus. And, and I was like, who's Lot's white? I thought Lots White was a famous sprinter or something. Who He's turned like, to salt? <laughs> that yeah. to you was the weird part. Like, wait, what was the name? Though? <laughs> I get the salt part happening. That seems totally legit. He's like, no, wait, Lots. Last name's White. That's crazy. Last name. Huh. He's like, no, Lots Wife. Like Sodom and Gomorrah. I was like, oh, we're getting a Bible lesson in addition to me sprinting. Great. Uh, wait. Okay. You're not supposed to look back. <laughs> no, it slows you down. If, you, if you're looking back that over your shoulders, see where your next slow competitor you down? is. Because you're you're going to veer and you're going to turn. You need to focus on where you're running. Well, just you're only going, turn your head. Don't turn your body. Oh, good lord! Just run backwards. Believe yeah, me, the, the, dude, the dude knew what he was talking about as far as coaching track is concerned. If I run, I can look behind me and see how close a monster is or whatever. It's not going to slow me down, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's going to slow you down. It's going to make you turn. It's going to make you slow. I'm telling you, that's how it works. When, when a football player I... turns to look, that's what happens. They slow down a little bit. You slow, down, infant- you slow down when you turn around. That's what happens. This coming from the guy who thinks that salt comes from Kessel. Yep, I know. Yeah. How embarrassing. Dingus, what's your second favorite touch in a movie? God's like right. track. 
so here's a quote from it. Why did they tell little kids that? And that is from the movie Aliens. So uh, there's a couple favorite touches I love in this movie. Um, I think my favorite, though, is when uh, Ripley goes back into the room where she's put Newt down to nap for a while. And Newt isn't on the bed anymore. And, of course, you know, she's immediately nervous. She pulls back the covers. There's no Newt there, but she looks under the bed, and there's Newt under the bed. Um, so Ripley carefully crawls under the bed with Newt and um, and just strokes her head. And she just does this really sweet motherly thing where she – I don't know if it's it, – it, like pokes her nose into Newt's hair. It's really a quick little moment where like she's not smelling her hair, but just, just touching her head to Newt's head while she's stroking Newt's head. And uh, Newt's of course lost her parents and lost everybody. And Ripley has lost her child. And this is a moment where she is becoming a mother again. And she's done this in a variety of ways. She's, She's told her the truth about monsters. She's told her the truth about she will eventually in a few minutes tell her the truth about how scared she is. Um, and she also gives her the sense of a mother's touch uh, once again that Newt hasn't been touched by a human in who knows how long. I don't know how long the time has been since everybody's been killed. Um, but I just love that motherly touch there. Dingus, what is Newt's doll's name? I don't know. She's made of plastic. Yep. Her name is Casey. The face so if I were to pick, her. If I were to pick another touch from that movie, what do you think it would be? The face hugger. No. Uh, That's violent. Oh. Well, it's an android. It's not violent, Dingus. I would say the face hugger is sexual. Okay. Right. Yeah, I figured that you would go that way. Well, it is, um, literally. So, I mean, it's it's reproduction. It's sexual. So it's... uh. So it would probably be the moment where um, Vasquez and Gorman are together and they put their hands over the that little uh, That's good. Um, that's violent, though. There yeah. is violence there, but, but her sex. clasping his hands uh, is something else, I think. I, I mean, think if, if, if Jeanette Goldstein was to sort of cling to me like that, I might construe it as sexual. My grenade would go off in a second. I think it's... Okay, never mind. I can't do anything else. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, my uh, is it my turn? Yeah, first favorite uh, touch. Um, you have I, to put the pin back in Kelly first. Kelly is the pin back in. Don't do a Kate Beckinsale and throw the pins out instead of the grenade. Uh, okay, it's in, <laughs> and but the pin's not. Oh. Uh, uh, I can't talk about this one very much because you guys haven't seen the movie. But my favorite touch, and again, I just went with finger t- touching things, is uh, a, a movie called Raw. And it is the moment where Alexia's fingertip touches her sister Justine's mouth. And now I'm done, and it's over to you. Kelly Wand, what is your first favorite touch? Jeez, Alexis wow. touches Justine's mouth. Yep, you guys are going to have to see the movie. Sorry. <laughs> My number one favorite touch in a movie. Okay, I might go to jail for this, but I'm feeling like JP. Like jail's fine. You're already in the salt mines of Kessel, so don't worry about it. All right. um, In 2001, 
at the beginning when the apes touch the monolith. Oh, it's really. Well, it's not a person. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's more evolved than a person. So, and the apes less evolved than a person. So, I feel like it even. They meet in the out. middle. <laughs> where, yeah, where, where do you fall in that spectrum, Kelly? Uh, under the apes. But um, I just thought it was. It's an interesting choice, Dingus. You see, because it's the best value touch in human history. Like they touch it, and then they learn how to like make spaceships. So. That's my number one. You're welcome. It's a pretty productive. Why challenge. do you think that's appropriate at all for this topic? Because that's a touch. It's it's something that's being it's touched. Somebody it's touching a slab of. That's no slab. You're no slab. Um, what what does that I mean, have to do with this topic at all? Well, what's Tell any me? touch? Any touch is, is contact. Is the 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 roof of the the Sistine Chapel a touch? Where Adam and God are, are, are have their Just fingers. Yeah, fingers. if we were going to choose three favorite paintings this is with the people same touching thing. each other, this is no, Kubrick's this is, this example is an of that. Iconic touch. All right, should move. This is first Kubrick's of all, example an, first of, of, all, of Adam animal. First right, of all, but it's Kubrick's. Ape, it's Kubrick's it's science fiction touching a piece of rock. It's his science fiction representation of that Michelangelo bit. I think where uh, where God and Adam are touching. And That's nice. That wouldn't work either, because God's not. No, God's no. not a person. He's <gasps> made in our image. He's Dingus, made in our image. You go back yeah, to your lockdown. Right. God you go is back made to your in our image. Church. God you... is made in our image. Very good, Kelly. Dingus, you're in lockdown at church. Oh. No, okay. I'm not. I don't have to be in lockdown. I'm the I'm the cop. And Kelly, forget it, Kelly. Wait, he you, turned you into an a ape touching a, You have an ape touching a piece of obsidian. That's, no, that's your choice. It's, like, it's a super advanced uh, intelligence. I wish I'd chosen all buildings for last week. Was that not? The obelisk out of obsidian. An ape touching the monolith. Good lord. Touching a movie. It's the first thing I thought of, so I feel like it should count because it's not sexual or violent. I I satisfied those prerequisites. That's true, and you could you could also have people starting cars. But it's a guy in a monkey. Sexual or violent, either most of the time. Um, I mean, what is a person? Personhood. Is its own can of worms, and I think that's the takeaway, right? What well, Dingus, show them how it's done. Then, what's your favorite touch? All right, here's my quote from it: "You're the only man who's ever touched me. You're the only one." And so, this is the right before the last scene in the movie Moonlight. Um, hmm. And uh, this is—I don't know if that counts. Why do you not think it counts? Kelly? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. Right. <laughs> Because he's basically a monolith. <laughs> he's black. See? You fell right <laughs> in my trap. Uh, so it's just such a beautiful moment of comfort, um, which, and we don't know where it's going to go. And so that, that touch for me is just beautiful. Now, it was uh, – I kind of was going to go with the, um, the swimming lesson um, – for other reasons, but I think this touch is more important to me. So, Moonlight. It's a swimming lesson. You, oh, just the fact that he's holding him up in the water? Yeah, it's like this baptism moment where he's holding, the, he's holding the kid. He's holding his head up, and his hands are on him. And this, this kid has never, never been held like this by a man, by a father figure. He's never, he's never had that, that kind of close contact. Um, and as men, we don't often, and, and I don't know, my father 
uh, is very much a huggy dude. Um, uh, some people don't have that experience when they're growing up, and certainly uh, this character did not. And so then he has this father figure in his life who is suddenly teaching him something and being paternal. Um, and this isn't an experience he's had. He's not been touched like this ever by a man. Um, and I think it's a different kind of touch than he's ever been used to being held and his head held up. Uh, I think it's a beautiful image. I really, I, I, I really think that movie should have got best picture. I mean, you know, I'm glad La La Land won, but I kind of wish the Academy had recognized Moonlight. Was it even nominated? Uh, they, you know, they gave it a, you know, they gave a lot of nominations, but they decided La La Land best picture, 2016. Mm. You know, that's what I heard. I turned the TV off as soon as it won. Dingus, what do the, list, what do the oh. listeners have to uh, to say as far as favorite touches? All right, so uh, we have somebody named John, and he says John Renninger says number three is Fallen with Denzel Washington. Hmm. Oh, this is good. Uh, I remember the scene where the evil spirit passed from person to person in front of Detective John Hobbs, Denzel's character, to taunt him. But when I rewatched it, the scene starts inside the police precinct with James Gandolfini. Also, I was reminded that this is a great, unreliable narrator movie. So, yeah, it's transferred uh, person to person. Uh, number two for John is The Green Mile. Michael Clark Duncan character John Coffey touches people to heal them. Uh, his favorite touch is when Tom, Ka- Tom Hanks' character, Paul Edgecombe, a death row prison guard, is shown that Sam Rockwell's Billy, the kid character, committed the murder Coffey was accused of doing. Um, he also heals uh, Tom Hanks so that he can pee. Uh, number one has to be Unbreakable. Specifically, the scene where Bruce Willis in the train station is wearing a cape-like poncho and reaches his hands out to mm-hmm. test his superpower by touching people to find their crimes. Wow, I don't remember that. That's the superpower. I thought he was just super strong. He's super strong, but he also has a sense of what's going on around him, and that's kind of how he explores it. It reminds me very much of that Stephen King. Dead, it reminds me of Dead Zone, too. Um, so next we have Dave Perkins. I bet Matt is going to be involved in this one. I hope you will actually, I hope you will forgive me for submitting my picks in separate emails. I will forgive you if you had another email, but I don't think you do. Um, (laughs) get to thinking about my list and modifying it and planning out my words. And the next thing I know it's Monday and I failed once again. Well, you did not fail this time, Dave, you, you entered something. Uh, how about Harvey Keitel cradling Tim Roth's head? At the end of Reservoir Dogs. This is a good choice, Dave. This is a really good choice. Uh, Kaitel uses one bloody hand to stroke the side of Roth's face as Roth spills the beans. Everything is soaked in blood, and the touch is clearly a caress, but I think it stays just this side of violence and sexual until, of course, the beans are spilled and the caressing hand is replaced by a gun. Yeah, that's clearly a moment of comfort. I like that, Dave. Uh, next, we have Arthur... Jovan and Jelly, who his subject of his email is good touches. <laughs> <laughs> so good touches from Arthur. The number three Star Wars Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Oh God! <laughs> After he's freed from the Carbonite, Han is thrown in the dungeons of Jabba's palace. He shares his cell with Chewbacca 
who explains the current situation to him, much to Han's dismay. After Han has expressed his doubts about Luke rescuing him, Chewie gives him a Wookiee hug, and I remember thinking how comforting that must have been for Han. Surely he's <laughs> blind and recently thawed out of carbonite, but getting uh, a hug from an old friend is always welcome, even right. if that friend is a walking carpet. Hmm. Yeah, I like that, actually, because Han's all like, okay, pal, okay. And he's like patting him on the arm. Uh, Arthur's number two, her. Chris Pratt looms over Joaquin Phoenix's shoulder <laughs> to read a letter that Phoenix is writing. After it's completed, Pratt tries to tell Phoenix how stoked he'd be to get a letter like that from a chick, even if it was written by a dude. Pratt then says something about how Phoenix is part man and part woman, gives him a squeeze <laughs> on the shoulder, and says, it's a compliment, and walks away. That was the first time I saw Chris Pratt. I had no idea who the guy was. I hadn't seen him in <laughs> Parks and Rec. I was like, who is this guy? He's great. Uh, He's in Jennifer's body, too. Right, right. But he doesn't – they don't give him anything to do. He's just like one of the generic cops, unfortunately. But you can't – I mean he so stands out in that little part in her. Uh, Uh, Arthur says, this exchange is so wonderfully awkward, and Pratt doesn't really realize it, which makes it so great. The little shoulder squeeze is a fun little period in this interaction. I love the way Arthur writes up his picks, by the way. Um, and Arthur's number one, Zero Dark Thirty. Ooh. Where's this oh, going? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was thinking of these. This is good. I didn't think of this one, Arthur. During the final raid on the compound, the members of the Navy SEAL team regu- regularly touch each other in order to provide their squad oh, mates nice. with information about their current position and what they intend to do next. They are performing violent actions, but these little touches are not violent. They are very familiar and definitely practiced. Uh, I'm going to change my number three. That's a great yeah. pick, Arthur. I'm going to change I, my two and three. I don't recall seeing that like another action movie. You always see the action movie where the, the dude holds his fist up to mean stop, and they yeah. do yeah. the eyes, and they point three fingers. But that whole idea of just how touchy they were in Zero Dark Thirty, I'd never, I don't think I'd ever seen that before. Yeah, me neither. And I was thinking about that kind of thing this week, too, That where you tap somebody on the shoulder and you point. And it's uh, tactical, tactical touching. Tactical? Instead of tactile. Very good. It's both. Yeah. Why does it have to be well, one or the other? Well, I'm just saying it's it's a surprise one. Yeah. Two. <laughs> uh, Paul Weimer. Hi, guys. I didn't touch Kelly's last topic. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'd likely have wound up in 3x3 three three jail like Dingus, but I'm back. I didn't mean to put it in your face. <laughs> Rub your face in it. Sorry. Take it in your hand and take it. Okay. Number three for Paul Weimer. In They Live, John mm. Carpenter seems fond of having guys do a high hand clasp. We see a couple of them. The one I'm picking is mm. down in the underground secret alien base where two soldiers do it, exclaiming, We did it. They got to meet the A team, referring to the destruction of the rebels. Nada, Roddy Piper, has just joined. Hey. Do they do the hand thing too? No. Oh. And the, the high five thing only. Only high five thing I can think of is uh, the Need for Speed from uh, Top Gun. All right. So uh, Paul Weimer's number two in Much Ado About Nothing, the Joss Whedon version. Claudio, Fran Kranz, and Don Pre- Pedro, Reed Diamond, fist bump each other in the background as Benedict 
looks lovingly at a picture of Beatrice, whom they are trying to set up together. Uh, and Paul Weimer's number one in Inside Man, a disguised Dalton Russell, Clive Owen, having successfully waited out the consequences of the bank robbery, bumps into Detective Frazier, Denzel Washington, quite deliberately in the bank lobby. We don't see until the end of the movie that in so doing, Russell has passed one of the stolen diamonds out of the safe to the detective. Best regards, Paul Weimer. Hmm. Forgot about that one. Uh, next, we have Ben Rupel. Oh, I don't know how to say your name, Ben. I appreciate you writing in about the Kong podcast, though. So, Ben Rupel. Uh, my theme is non-romantic, non-violent touching in Star Wars Episode Seven, <laughs> the new one with a number. Uh... <laughs> Time is short, so I won't be able to do these to justice they deserve. Uh, number three, his third confirmed first canon Star Wars gay character. Bro hug between ace pilot Poe Dameron and Finn. The two share an emotional scene when each learns that the other is alive and well. Maybe Oscar lays it a little heavy. It lays it on a little heavy by acting with relief and care, or maybe OMG first gay Star Wars gay couple when they are going to kiss. Go read a book, Star Wars fans. I don't know what <laughs> any of that means. I agree with him about go read a book, Star Wars fans. <laughs> Uh, Ben's second. Just not pick. the courtship of Princess Leia. Huh. <laughs> yeah, not, not something by Timothy Zahn. You sounded like Frisbee a little bit there. The courtship. I can't stop doing it now. Ben's number two. Kylo Touch. Ren fakes out his dad with a strong emotional half hug. They really tried to lay on the emotion and keep tension high with family talk and ambiguous, tricky wording from the villain. Well, this touch is immediately followed by the deadly touch of the business end of a laser sword. The initial connection where Han drops everything to daring to try to save his son, I felt really showed great character and heart from longtime favorite bad boy Han Solo, seconds before his last hurrah. And finally, Ben's number one. First choice is Finn grabbing Ray by the hand. <laughs> yeah. Tom's hand grabs. Uh, during their pursuit in the desert planet. Not going to bother with names as I want Tom to follow along. This is a continuation of a theme where Finn the Stormtrooper somehow got the idea that good guys are supposed to save the ladies. He grabs her by the hand at least twice in a gesture of follow me or let me help you. But she keeps protesting for him to stop doing that. Classic Star Wars banter, almost. By the time they get on the ship, I'm pretty sure they give up posturing after a close call and board together with newfound mutual respect. How cool is Daisy Ridley? I just want to say. Mary. Grant Stewart. My three best non-sexy violent touches goes like this. Number three, Pulp Fiction. A load of cars off screen. Tony Rocky Horror touching Mia Wallace's feet when giving her a foot massage. That leads to him apparently being thrown out a window. And maybe risking jail here on several counts with the conversation Vince and Jules have about it is pretty memorable. Jail? Number, number, nah, number two, Top Gun from Grant Stewart. The high fives that Maverick and Goose do on the tarmac where they hit a high five and then also hit a low five on the reverse immediately afterwards. Very difficult to do in real life. Must have required a choreographer. Also, the macho tension between Maverick, Goose, and Iceman 
reminds me very much of the quarter to three team. Uh-oh. I know which one I am. <laughs> Damn. I used to have to practice that with a friend of mine in high school who was obsessed with being a fighter pilot. Hmm. Wait, so who's the third? We have Maverick Goose and who? Val Kilmer? I, Iceman. Iceman. Yeah. Right. Ew. That's right. Uh, am, well, all right. Dangerous. So, Kelly Wan, you're choosing Goose, right? Yeah. I guess Dingus has to be Maverick. Yeah, it's fine. I'll take Val Kilmer. No, you're Maverick. I'm not Maverick. What are you talking about? Dingus is a Tom Cruise here. Dingus thinks you're reckless. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I am dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah dangerous. Your name's Maverick? Did your parents not like you? That's no, my call sign. Oh, you're a pilot. Is that banter from Top Gun? Yeah. That's hot. It's Kelly See? McGillis at the bar with, with Tom. Oh, you're a pilot. That's who I am. Before he understands that she's like a physicist or something. All right. And Grand Stewart's number one, so I'm going to run her up. I, li- I love this choice. Um, no, this is good. Uh, Margaret. Uh, maybe slightly cheating here, but the hand holding that bookends a story. First, Anna Paquin holding the hand of Allison Janney as she lies dying and eventually holding the hand of her mother at the opera, she finally accepts responsibility for her actions and behavior. Boy, that scene, I watched that again this week. That scene is freaking tough to watch. That bus scene, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Allison Janney is so good in it, and so is Anna Paquin, but yeah. That, like, what's going on? Where am I? don't leave me, don't leave me. And Anna Paquin's suddenly in this and she's holding her hand and there's like blood going everywhere. Oh my God, that's a horrible scene. I mean, in the I, best way. I have an Allison Janney one that can lighten the mood. Okay. Is it, is it lost? Does what it involve I, a pen? No, what, uh, I don't know what Dingus is thinking of, but no, one of my runners up is a movie and I only remembered it because it's called Touchy Feely. It's a terrible Lynn Shelton movie, which is a, Something I hate to say. It's difficult to say those words. Terrible Lynn Shelton movie. But it's a thing. Uh, there's a movie called Touchy Feely with, uh, where the main character is this super uptight uh, – he's, like he's a dentist uh, played by a guy named Josh, Josh Pace, and he's super sallow, and he's like an older guy. And he's really just uncomfortable with his own body. And Allison Janney is this super earthy uh, masseuse therapist, massage therapist. And there's a really uh, just enjoyable, funny – scene where she's trying to give him a massage and he's really uptight and doesn't want to have himself massaged. Uh, and it's just Alice and Janney doing like physical comedy. Um, she's really good as the mom in The Sixth Sense. <sighs> Kelly Wand. <sighs> so sad. Speaking of physical comedy. So Grant says keep up the good work, guys. So we have one more. That would be Chris Markinson who cursed me in his email to our uh, podcast because he felt like he had to leave too many things on the table. Um, so Chris Markinson says, Hey guys, wasn't as easy trying to get down to three picks. Number three, there's a really nice moment in John wick chapter two hmm. where wick allows the woman he has to kill to slit her wrists and bleed out in a large hot tub while she's bleeding out. Wick reaches into the water and takes hold of her hand, holding it until she passes away. Yeah, I like that move, that moment too, Chris. Um, his number two choice, come on, sign it. In Sicario, Benicio de Toro wants Emily Blunt to sign a document stating that a law enforcement operation that was carried out was done by the books. She refuses, and del Toro puts a gun under her chin. A tear falls down Blunt's left cheek 
and Del Toro wipes the tear away and then strokes her cheek. Hmm. That's kind of similar to the other one, huh? What other one? Oh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, and Chris Markinson's number one choice. So this is what it feels like. In Logan, there's a point in the movie where Laura grabs hold of Logan's wrist and he shakes her hand off. Later in the movie, during a very powerful scene where Logan holds Laura's hand. Thanks, guys. Chris. Hmm. Good old Logan. I like that she has to take him by the wrist, that it's not a handhold at that point. It's all on her. It's just like his big old meaty wrist and her little hand around it. Yeah. Right. All right. Do you guys have any runners up? Pretty much everything Chris Markinson posted in that thread. Uh, But since mine were all all fingertips, so the only one I could steal is uh, Bill Hader pushing Kristen Wiig with his fingertip and skeleton twins. That That was was really cute. cute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I liked in Get Out where. the dude offers his fist for a fist bump, <laughs> and the other guy just shakes it. And he's like, "What?" He grabs it like a doorknob. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Something's not right here," and that's like a huge red Wait, flag to him. That's a joke in another movie. Probably, uh, I mean, it's pretty easy. No, it's a movie we've done where where somebody like offers a fist, and the other guy like grabs it and like shakes it, and it's really a weird and awkward. What's that other movie? We did that. Chappy. And we made a we made a point of talking about it. Dang it! Uh, uh, well, the gimmick the the point here is that they're both black, so that it's it's conspicuous that the other guy doesn't understand the handshake. I'm pretty sure whatever we saw was probably highlighting a white nerdy guy. Yeah, probably. Office yeah. Christmas party. Oh no! God, no, darn it! Blake Edwards, <laughs> the movie. <laughs> um, one of the one of the ones that Chris posted late. Um, that I thought about very early on, but I di- I chose not uh, to uh, to pick. Was this? There's this great moment of fingers in uh, Silence of the Lambs where um, uh, Clarice and Doctor Lecter are, ha- are transferring a file between themselves, and uh, his finger goes over the top of hers, and it's just like this spine tingling moment. Um, but I think there's too many undercurrents of sexuality and violence in there too. What? To allow it. Mm, I did. Uh, no, no. Well, I. You think Doctor Lecter? Like so. You think Hannibal Lecter wants to have sex with, with Clarice Starling? No, but I think their relationship is sexually charged, and there's too much violence there. Well, in the book of Hannibal, they hook up. What? Yeah, yeah. and he and he tests her with the with with you know talking about that kind of stuff and um i don't know i think it's i think it's a little it might not be sexual but it is there is sort of a sense of the erotic to it which is weird and it's creepy and it's supposed to be creepy i think it's just too creepy for me but i love the i love the image of it and it's a great gift that chris posted tom that's why jodie foster was it in the movie of hannibal because she thought that ending was a huge repudiation of her character from Silence of the Lambs. She well, wasn't I in agree. Hannibal? I agree with her, yeah. Who played her Julianne in Hannibal? Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Oh, oh. I like Hannibal. I'm one of the, I'm a Hannibal apologist. I think it's yeah. funny. But the book is so <laughs> terrible. Oh, my God. I haven't read the book. I love the movie. I like that ending a lot with the kid. It reads like a parody of Thomas Harris. It's really weird. It seems like a really weird everything. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the other, the only other um, 
runner-up I would have, I think, would be Karate Kid, but not the one that Chris posted. It's the it's the one where um, where he magically heals uh, his, his knee by by smacking his hands together and rubbing them, and then putting his hands on his leg to warm up the leg so that he can go on with the rest of the match. That heals the leg. Well, it doesn't heal him, but it 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 it's it suffices. It's like getting a shot of like uh, cortisone or something, and in the middle of a football game, he basically uh, he basically allows him to continue with the match so that he can he can actually stand up. But it needs to be done by Pat Morita. Like I couldn't do that. Leg yeah, on, could. leg off. It, it does well, very much told- seem like it's very special to me. But there's also earlier touching where he where he's teaching Daniel how to do wax on wax off, and he's holding his ha- hands and smacking them against them. And that's not violence because karate isn't necessarily about violence. Uh, he's teaching him discipline at this point. It's very much an affection and fatherly thing that he's doing. That's that what the sense. monolith was teaching the apes. Yeah, yep. yeah, definitely. Okay, you're out of jail. See, you're, I'm releasing you in your own recognition. Yeah. What were you going to say, Tom? Uh, I was going to – I bet there are some great touches between Joel Gray and Remo Williams. <laughs> oh, there, there was one other. I thought of Joel the the, the, uh, the shaving moment, and they look like people. I think that's – Would you shave my back that bit? Yeah. I think that's kind of interesting touching. Yeah, with a razor. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In which case, can we bring up uh, Naomi Watt? No, Naomi Harris. And uh, Daniel Craig. Oh, uh, yeah. We've already done that with the shaving. Yeah. I could do that all night. Oh, wait. That sounded weird. say that again. Wait. Uh, yeah. I just want to make it clear I'm on the Daniel Craig side of that equation. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's who you want to shave it? <laughs> <laughs> to shave it? Yeah. That's what I assumed. Tom. You didn't need to clarify. Oh, also, uh, Lethal Weapon 2. Sorry. Uh, we're, we're there holding each other at the end as uh, Roger Murtaugh is bleeding out. What? Roger Murtaugh bleeds out at the end of Lethal Weapon 2? Well, he, he survives, of course, but oh. he's been shot a thousand times. and uh, Or no, Mel Gibson's been shot, and, and Murtaugh's holding him, I guess. Because oh. he's been shot by the, the Joss, not Joss Whedon, Joss Ackland. <laughs> I think it's I'd like to see Joss Whedon do a part like that. <laughs> he's getting too yeah. bled for this shit. It would be great to see Joss Whedon say, uh, diplomatic immunity. Right, he wouldn't even he would be able to do it in perfect English too. It wouldn't have a weird accent. Those yeah. his English accent in that movie is so terrible. It's awful. Who Pesci's? No, South Africans uh, can't do an English accent to save their lives. That's God, even I can tell us it's not Africans. It's not English. Sir, you're blick. Oh my gosh, that's terrible English <laughs> accent, Kelly Wand. What? I'm South African. Yeah, yeah I'm just trying to do an English accent. It was <laughs> awful. But sir, you're blick. Oh, so bad. I could tell you I could tell you're American right off the bat. You guys ready for next week's topic? All right. Ooh, this yeah. is related to the movie Redline. I don't want to spoil anything in case you fast forwarded, but at the end of Redline, someone is losing a race. But then things turn around and he wins. So I want your favorite come from behind victories in movies. Normally it's going to be a sports deal or a contest or a fight, but someone is losing and losing and losing and losing and then he wins. Something happens, and it makes him or her win. So what what made it happen? Why is that one of your favorites? Give me three. You don't – you listeners, you just give me one. 
You can give me two if you want. You can give me three. But if you've just got one that you want, feel free to send it in. Dingus, you and Kelly Wan have to give me three of those. Your three favorite come-from-behind victories in movies. Does evolution count? Like coming from behind to win in evolution and become humans? Um, I'm not. How is that coming from behind? Because you thought they might be extinct, but then they touched a big rock. And yeah, the meteor. They, they came from behind. What is that? Yeah. Uh, what is that Chris Pratt bit about a comeback victory? About uh, that deleted scene from Parks and Rec? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. What are your favorite comebacks? Uh, oh, right. Kim right. Kardashian. <laughs> and everybody's like, what? Like, yeah, I, I think he came on her back. Uh, <laughs> there's a good come from behind in Don John. Well, save it for next week's 3x3 three three then, Kelly Wand. But she's uh, not if you're listening and you have a submission, send it to 3x3 at quarter3.com. Also, if you're listening and you see the movie Life, like we are going to do next week, send your thoughts into 3x3 at quarter3.com in a separate email. Let us know what you thought of it because that's what we're going to be talking about, Life. Next week on the Quarter 3 podcast with a 3x3 of Come From Behind Victories. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. There's a good come from behind in Caveman. Cause he's going the distance. He's going for speed. She's all alone. All alone. All alone in a time of need. Because he's racing and racing and plotting the course. He's fighting and fighting and running on his There's a good come from behind in uh, one of the Star Wars movies. The one where uh, Millennium Falcon. Does that count? Is that a victory? But they wind up on Hoth, so that's a loss, huh? Yeah, that's a good point. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! We're in this together, man. Dodging bullets and potato chip chunks. Oh, is that from the subtitled one?